This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 4, Episode 20, The Finish Line. Series finale! Uh, This will be the last episode of Series 4, Tefra. Um, So the final conclusion. It's exciting. Um, Like we said last week. We will not be having a words with the GM uh, for this episode. We are going to try and jump right into it, uh, reserve as much time as possible for post-game chatter. Uh, After the actual play of this episode is over, uh, the cast is going to sit down, talk about how they feel about the system and everything, and most importantly, answer questions from the listeners. Uh, You guys submitted a bunch of questions. They're all going to get answered after the episode. So... uh, Uh, Look forward to that. And thank you to everybody who sent us questions. Uh, It was the largest group of questions we've had to date. So that was pretty great for us. Yeah. Uh, Also, uh, just to lay out uh, what's going to happen in the next couple weeks, a week from today, uh, we are going to release the Series 4 blooper reel. Bloops! Uh, And then um, the week after that, we begin Series 5, Shadowrun. Um, Sometime in that time frame, we're going to be releasing some extra character art for series five so keep an eye out for that otherwise i think we don't have any other announcements uh that's it this is the uh last episode of series four so we don't want to keep you guys waiting yeah let's uh let's see how it all pans out let's move on into the series four finale episode 20 the finish line enjoy the last time we left team jollypot Uh, They went through a hell of a lot. Uh, They made it into Mount Siberius at the heart of the country of Siesh, uh, which was currently in the uh, midst of a coup as the uh, 19 dukes that rule the larger nation uh, rose up and killed the emperor and uh, started striking down his royal uh, military uh, to take full control. In the midst of this, they f- they joined up with Team Adams and rescued both Duncan Furter and uh, Team Cornfoot. Um, at that point, Team Adams made uh, their escape, as far as anyone knows, uh, and Team Jollypot joined up with Team Cornfoot uh, to rescue Hugo Witherton, uh, a member of Team Cornfoot, from uh, execution. In the process of rescuing Hugo, uh, they were confronted by Tank, a member of Team Fiddleworth. Uh, Tank opened fire on them and uh, began to break many of the rules in the uh, in the Atroposian circuit as as he engaged in mortal combat with Team Jollypot and Cornfoot. As this fight was coming to a climactic finish, uh, Duncan Furter stepped out from his hiding spot and confronted Tank, uh, calling him out on the fact that he had broken the most sacred rules of the Atroposian circuit. Uh, for this, he was uh, rewarded with two shots to the gut. After this happened, uh, Team Jollypot quickly dispatched Tank, who was already near dead, and... Um, 
Then Team Jollypot rushed to Duncan Furter's aid to see if they could save him. Uh, while this was going on, Team Cornfoot hopped in the three remaining planes in the hangar and uh, took off to make their escape. But not before uh, Zeke was able to damage one of their planes considerably. Um, then Team Jollypot rushed uh, Duncan Furter through a veritable war zone of the main hangar deck in... Uh, Sly Crag to get Duncan Furter aboard the Contessa, the uh, second most valuable ship in the Corps Elite's fleet. With the Contessa, they were able to make their uh, hasty escape, and uh, Talia was even able to, against all odds, save Duncan Furter's life uh, when she ransacked the Contessa's uh, medical cabinet and found some uh, alchemical potions that uh, reform. Uh, wounds with liquid skin. You guys are on your way uh, south. The sun is starting to rise. Uh, there's a You can see the horizon. You're heading south. It's going to take you a couple days to make your way to Razul, where uh, presumably the Corps Elite is waiting in the town square to see which team makes it to the statue of Jarvis Gallant. Uh, there in the center of the square. Uh, first team to touch the statue wins the race. You guys have, uh, you, you estimate two days' time before you get there. Miss Nazari. Uh, yes, Mr. Gunsby. How are you feeling? I'm well, thank you. I have one m- minor, very small request to make of you. Go on. If we see Team Cornfoot's planes, would you let me know so that I may try to shoot some of them down? Of course, Mr. Gunsby. <laughs> Thank you so much, Virgin Azari. I'm I... going to go back to sleep until the time comes to shoot those bastards out of the sky. It's a good plan. I shut the door and I lock it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Duncan Furter has uh... been unconscious since last night. <laughs> It's not the first time I've shut down a plane with my rifle. Yes, it was the second year in the hurricane. (laughs) He's talking. He's talking to Duncan Furter's unconscious body. (laughs) I I have checked on Mr. Duncan Furter as well. He he has been. I mean, he seems fine. He's not coughing up blood. He's not like breathing like heavily. His pulse seems fine. Uh, You know, you're not a doctor, but. Uh, he's still alive. I am alive. a scientist, though. <laughs> <laughs> he is still alive and uh, seems uh, seems like he'll, he'll be he'll pull through. Um, though at the moment he is completely out cold, very unconscious. Uh, can I fly this thing if I'm not big? Yeah, uh, there's a gnome-sized standing chair nearby um, that you can pull out of a closet. Uh, you assume it's probably for uh, Isaiah Basington. Um, as this is, as this is, uh, uh, a ship used by all the core. Um, and, uh, you, you see that there's like on the back of the seat, there's the symbol of free will, uh, <laughs> etched into it. All right. I get little and I take the chair. All right. I suppose I shall, um, set things to rights from when I must everything up, uh, maybe poke around a little bit on that screen thing cool roll science for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's see if you can figure out how this thing works it's unlike anything you've seen before 
even even the the fact that they like somehow have taken the reflections from the mirrors on the back of the ship and somehow illuminated them so that they appear on the uh, glass in front of uh, the helmsman chair um, so that Zeke can be looking out the front and also see uh, uh, images from behind the ship uh, and to the sides of the ship. Um, that alone is something that baffles you and you want to figure out exactly how they did it. Um, but, uh, you are currently pouring over this, uh, this terminal of sorts on this, uh, on the helmsman console. And, um, uh, what'd you get on your science roll? Uh, 20. Tier three? Yes. All right. You are unable to discern exactly how it works. Um, but given how Duncan Furter used it and the things he was saying about it, how it, it connects to the core all over the world. Um, you imagine that there are other devices like this. Uh, possibly each Duncan Furter has one uh, at their disposal. Um, you imagine it could be made portable, perhaps. Uh, nothing like super small, but like a pack of sorts. Um, it... Uh, <laughs> um, it definitely has like a screen with like some kind of uh, of uh, illumination behind it that can create images. Um, and you you know you as like you saw him, you weren't really paying that much attention, but like you know like he like put in his code, which you can put in, and then there's dials. Um, but all of the options that you see on the screen, or all of the images you see on the screen, um, are like symbol based. And it's hard to exactly tell what they're supposed to do. And you know that when you move a dial, you like move a little indicator up and down on these symbols. Uh, but you don't know how to like interact with these symbols in any way. You know that you can just move that that little indicator up and down. And the fact that alone, you just do that for a while, and you're like, how is this happening? I turn this dial, and this light moves. I'm very very interested in this. Yes, and I do that for the running water, and I do that <laughs> for the the mirrors that aren't mirrors, uh, and the running the run Running water, you're able to get the hold of. It's just, it's just impressive that they managed to fit it aboard the ship and uh, and make it really work. I just all of it. I'm just very interested in all of this stuff. It's uh, very. It seems like the reflection uh, methods that uh, then create a projection of the uh, uh, of the images on the mirror. Uh, you can kind of figure that one out. It is aether based somehow, um, but you can't quite without like tearing into the wall panels and, like, finding your way to I'm where not the... not going to do that. Yeah, you don't know where the maintenance panel for that one is, but, like, you can kind of, like, you can judge, like, you're like, all right, well, this light this light is, like, being produced by Aether, I can tell that, and, like, you figure, like, it's, like, the reflection, like, maybe, like, there's, like, an Aether-based mirror. Somehow, somehow they, like, made Aether itself, like, reflective mm -hmm. and something like that. You're not exactly sure. And I said, McDonald's, you're... Coming with me. <laughs> you hear Barnabas continuing to tell stories to the unconscious Duncan Furter. Um, all right. And then I, I guess I'll go check on Zeke. If we've been flying all day, I can take over for a little while if he wants. Um, I guess if you really want to, I can stop flying this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to make sure you don't fall asleep at the wheel or something. I just want to make sure you're all right. Do you need, like, some tea or something? There's a veritable smorgasbord as far as um, the galley goes. Coffee would be great. On it. All right. Uh, Zeke, roll spirit for me. 32. You are not fatigued by staying up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Zeke seems uh, almost uh, energized by the sophistication of this air vessel. Uh, so I bring him a large cup of coffee. It's more like a, a, an entire thermos, really. It's just ginormous. It's the largest container I could find where he, I think he would still be able to lift it in his gnome form. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Thank you. Uh, and then I, I suppose until I get tired, I will keep an eye out on the horizon. Um, yeah, let me know if you see um, Team Cornfoot. I want to make an obscene gesture at them as we pass them. <laughs> uh, Mr. Gunsby made a similar request. I definitely will let you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's an ambush ahead. There <laughs> was seven. Seven Aodin that jumped out. <laughs> so uh, you guys continue on your way. The first day actually goes relatively without any incident. Um, I, I sleep eventually. All right. You take a nap, Zeke. Uh, Talia, you take over. You fly overnight. You just you hold this like this, and it's like flying the wind. <laughs> he says as he pets the <laughs> pets the console. You're so pretty. <laughs> uh, and the first day goes without incident. Talia, you uh, fly overnight. Zeke wakes up nice and early, energized, ready to get back at the console. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Zeke and Talia, you guys are keeping a lookout. Um, so both of you roll cunning to notice. I got an eight. Twenty. Cool. Uh, Talia, you're actually outside of the uh, the cabin, which at first you were like weren't sure if that was a good idea. The thing's moving so quickly. But you really wanted to see how those mirror things worked the other day, so you did it. Uh, and you didn't actually realize how fast you guys were moving. Um, and, and you're standing out on the cabin, and now you just realize there's another thing on this ship that you want to figure out how it works. You're standing there on the deck of this ship. You guys are flying through the air. Three high-powered Aether engines just at full throttle, just moving you towards uh, Rizula at an alarming speed. And um, you feel the wind. It is strong, but it's not overpowering. And then, like, you kind of, like, go towards the edge. You're standing on the banister. It's beautifully, like, elegantly, like, carved banner uh, with, like, gold designs on it. And you reach your hand out, and you feel as your hand seems to pass through something... And then, like, is hit by, like, really, really high-speed, hard, difficult winds that, like, shove your hand back. And as it gets shoved back, it swings, you know, behind you a little bit, and then the wind resistance is gone. And you realize there has to be some sort of, like, gravitational, like, sphere around this thing that is, like, deflecting the air resistance so that it doesn't affect you or anyone on board to a large degree. And it's probably why this thing is able to move so quickly because presumably that gravitational like uh, void uh, is aerodynamic in nature. Oh man, how does it work? It's so cool. <laughs> and you look all over for where this generator is what? for whatever this, this field is around the ship and you just can't figure I it can't out. I keep testing the, like, borders of it. <laughs> People, like, figure it out. I've 
got to find it. <laughs> Looking all over. See, you see as like Talia's like has like a little bushel of like apples and she like is I th- see this in the various mirrors. <laughs> yeah, and you see as she's like lobbing them up into the air and like watching as they like lob nice and neatly and then seem to pass through this barrier and then just zip behind. <laughs> it's like there's like an air bubble around this thing uh, on the deck. Um uh, what did you guys get on your notice? Twenty. Eight. Okay. I'm watching Talia throw apples. <laughs> <laughs> this is very interesting and very entertaining. Yeah, uh, you actually get a good kick out of it as she moves to the front of the ship and foolishly throws <laughs> <laughs> throws the apple forward directly in front of her. Uh, Talia, roll a vein for me really quick. <laughs> All right. Uh, 18. Uh, and with cat-like reflexes, she dodges to the side as the uh, as she realizes her mistake almost immediately the uh the apple f- tosses forward and then gets hit by this wind resistance and comes shooting at her like a bullet and she like darts to the side and it smashes up against the uh, uh against one of the um masts uh holding up this the sail like rudders uh and <laughs> 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 Whatever. And uh, you're, you know, you just brush yourself off, Talia. You're All like, in the interest of scientific exploration. And you say that, and then you look forward, and you realize you see something on the horizon. Oh, cripes! And uh, as you guys are approaching, you see that it is uh, it is two planes. Do I recognize these planes? The closer you guys get, the more and more you recognize them. These are most assuredly the planes that Team Cornfoot used to make their escape. But there's only two. Yes. Cripes. Um, all right. I'll go tell Mr. Quaglin. Zeke, you're watching, waiting for Talia to do something else silly. And uh, she steps into the cabin. Hi. Um, remember when you said, if we happen to see Team Cornfoot, to mention it? Um, I'm mentioning it. All right. Can you, um, can you hold the wheel steady? I need to go out front. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'm going to make an obscene gesture at them as we blow past them. All right. Uh, you guys are uh, approaching them, not with exceeding speed. Um, it seems like your top speed is a little bit above theirs, but not to a huge long degree. Actually, you guys, it's a pretty long approach that you guys have. And you get the, you get like, at first you're like, well, this thing's really fast. But then you're like, also this thing is gigantic and they're in planes. So, <laughs> so like the, the. So I'll have plenty of time to make many yes, obscene gestures. Yes, you will probably, it will probably take you a good, uh, like full, like minute and a half to like pass by them. And then you're in front of them. And even then you could go to the back deck and continue to make obscene gestures for a while. (laughs) Um, so you're preparing (laughs) for that. Um, and as you guys get closer and closer, uh, you see, uh, as, um, both planes, uh, break one goes left, one goes right. And they spin around and start flying towards you guys. Well, they can't hear me obviously, but are you stupid fucks going to shoot down the Cordelites? Cru- like, what is your plan? It's the <laughs> dumbest thing you've thought of. <laughs> Literally the dumbest thing. I go back in the cabin to fly the sucker. <laughs> what I see is Zeke shake his head, <laughs> wave his arms, sort of like Charlie Black- Brown. It's like, what is this? I know when I've been insulted. Sort of. I flip on the bird. Double birds. <laughs> and then he comes back in and is like, Let me fly. They're dumb. 
All right. <laughs> They're going to try and shoot us down. You might want to wake up Barnabas. Oh, but he wants to kill them. Well, let's see if they're dumb or phenomenally stupid. All right. How about I just go and... <laughs> How about I just go and unlock unlock the door? Yeah, maybe let's, let's give him, you know, let's... Let's not let Barnabas murder these two very foolish people right the second before they've done anything to really deserve it. Okay. I go down and unlock the door. <laughs> <laughs> and then I come back up, I suppose. All right. Uh, you watch as they approach. It's now much quicker because they are flying directly at you. Uh, they're approaching quicker and quicker and quicker. Um, and... Uh... Zip by you. Uh, Zeke, roll cunning for me at a minus two. Can I be heroically cunning? No. This is to notice. Uh, You are the only person with the eyesight capable to notice this as they zip by you, though it is still a little difficult for you. Four. (laughs) You see two planes. You stupid fox. What did, like, I'm... Your planes can't turn fast enough, and I'm faster. This is very dumb. Your plan is bad. And you look in your rearview mirror as you say this. You see them make uh, maneuvers to uh, spin around, and uh, they both shoot back at uh, the Aether engines. I need you to roll evade for me. Uh, twice. Also do so at a uh, plus four. Yeah, that is a 17 and an 18. Okay, so one plane, you turn the rudders. The ship makes like a little like fishtail maneuver to like avoid the shots. Um, They kind of like just pass you. Um, But then uh, the second one makes uh, purchase and there's a sound as one of the. They're flying right at us, right? Yeah, they're behind you. This is a very, this is an airship of the Court Elite. And I've watched Talia mess around with this apparent very impressive graviton field this ship also turns on a dime and they're flying straight at me yes i hit the brakes and i turn sideways okay roll dexterity for me (laughs) (laughs) uh talia you hear as one of those three beautiful aether engines goes offline is that there's no way for me to get to them uh i mean yeah no yeah you can get to them you were observing them before you can get to the main engines i I run over and do that. All right. You start making your move. Also roll dexterity for me because this ship is going to be twisting real fast. It's a 21 on dexterity. 15. Uh, yeah. One of your, uh, you're like, you see as a, a little like light that indicates your different engines. There's like a, on the, on the, uh, dash of this, there's <laughs> the like check engine light pops on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a little display showing like a layout of the, of the ship, like a little etching of the ship with little like lights in it. And one of the, uh, orange lights that indicates one of the, the, the left, or I should say the port, um, engine goes out, uh, and you, Pull the uh, you pull the the lever to turn the rudder sideways. You f- swing uh, swing the wheel around and it goes whoosh and just spins. How much did you get? Twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it spins and um uh and Talia, what'd you get on your dexterity? Fifteen. Okay, uh, Talia, you are stopped and you grab on, but you don't go like you aren't tossed. Uh, you manage to grab onto like a railing and just like it like 
like shoved around. You're still in the cabin. You're like going towards the door. You guys hear as Barnabas uh, hits the wall and um, Barnabas, you wake up and you see uh, uh, Gerald is holding Duncan Furter in place in his bed. Uh, Gerald's got one hand on the ceiling and one hand on on Duncan Furter. Duncan Furter, he's like made a mast of himself. (laughs) Um, And uh, you're now barreling down towards uh, towards these two. Uh, Barb. I know what's going on. All right, everyone can roll priority. I, I have a question. Yeah. Can this... So I turn the ship so, like, the side is facing them. Oh, I thought you were barreling towards them. No, you go flat? No, they're flying very, very quickly, gotcha. and I assume this ship is very sturdy. Gotcha. Okay, okay, sorry. Uh, so, so uh, uh, Zeke, you are now uh, giving them the broadside. There's no guns on this ship, but you have presented a very large obstacle for these planes that are right behind you. Um, everyone roll priority for me. Zeke, what did you get? I got a 13. Talia? 19. And Barnabas? 12. Uh, Zeke, you have made this broadside. Uh, One plane goes under uh, kind of like not smoothly, uh, kind of more of a like nosedive plummet to avoid uh, hitting you. And the other one makes a a like spinning maneuver where it goes upside down, inverted over you uh, and flies over you guys. Um, And uh, uh, you, the one that went nose down is going to be out of the fight for like a second or two while it, while it has to re like regain its control. But the other one made a a strong enough maneuver to continue circling around you guys. Um, Talia, you are up first. Right. I grab my kit and head down to the engines. Okay. Uh, you can make it there um, and roll science to start assessing the damage. Uh, 18. Okay. Um, we'll get back to that in a minute, but you are starting to look it over. Um, Zeke, you are next. All right. Um, I get the ship moving back towards Rizal. Okay. Does it look like there's any weapons on this thing? Uh, you've you've already given this thing a, a good like, you've looked at everything there is on this thing, and surprisingly, no weapons. It is just a diplomatic vehicle. Okay, then I use four of my five action points to move us back towards Rizul. Sure. And I use my fifth action point to find a notepad and write down Team Cornfoot, shout out your engine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. It's not like we're going to stop and exchange insurance information. <laughs> um, yeah, you uh, you turn this thing and you start going. Um, the plane uh, in front of you has uh, started to make like a sweeping maneuver to kind of like come at you from the flank as you orient this thing around and, and turn the engines back up. Uh, Talia, you hear an unsettling rattling sound from the broken engine. Um, and uh, Barnabas, it is your turn. Which plane can I see? Uh, you step out into the cabin with Zeke um, out of your quarters. And uh, you you see through the window uh, to your left uh, as uh, one of the planes, you can hear it going approaching uh, to kind of like do a strafing run underneath, it looks like. All right. I will get into position, a fighting position. All right. You... Open up the door and run off uh, to uh, uh, to the banister so you can get a, a clear line of sight onto this plane. What do you do? I take aim at the 
plane's engine. Okay. Try to get around through the middle of the propeller. Okay. Are you calling a shot here? Called shot. Let's do it. Okay. Go ahead and roll. This will be at a minus one because they are moving quickly. What'd you get? Eleven. Yeah, this shot uh, you see as uh, as the plane seems to see you uh, uh, taking aim and it spins uh, in a, like a little loop de loop to avoid your shot, continuing its momentum towards uh, the cor- uh, the Contessa. Uh, it then flies underneath. Uh, Zeke, I need you to make uh, an evade roll. Um, we'll call this uh, minus two, just given the the like widespread bottom of the ship. That's a 10. Uh, you hear as uh, as it flies out the other side uh, and using the uh, the uh, displays you have showing uh, images on the underneath, you see that they tried to fire at your graviton spheres and you were able to raise your altitude enough to avoid it. And then it seemed like their gun kind of malfunctioned and jammed. Uh, <laughs> and they fly out the other side underneath you. Um, no sign of the other plane at the moment. He probably crashed. I don't think Hugo can fly a plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously Edith in that one. <laughs> Clearly. Um, and... Uh, Talia, it's your turn. Uh, you've assessed the damage here. You're not quite sure how much you can do to uh, fix this engine fully. Um, like, you can't... You definitely don't think you can get full power back to this. Uh, but you might be able uh, to uh, put some work on it to get a little bit of the engine capability back if you weaken the en- the other two engines. Uh, basically, if you were to assign like percentages to this, uh, it's running at um, two-thirds uh, speed, and you think you might be able to get it to three-quarters speed. I mean, three-quarters is better than two-thirds, so of course. All right, go ahead and roll science for me. See how long it's going to take you. Fifteen. All right, it will require seven more action points to get this engine fully up and running. Zeke, you're up. Okay, I've seen how whoever's flying this plane has made their attack passes the last two times. Mm -hmm. Based on that information, is there a way I can fly this airship to cause them some kind of hindrance? Uh, Go ahead and roll dexterity. I'll oppose it, um, and we'll see if you can outmaneuver her. It's a 24. Uh, you see as it uh, begins making its uh, its turnaround, um, you actually, uh, with your uh, eyes, you see as the hatch opens up um, and uh, Edith Graham uh, reaches out to the front of the ship nearby the engine, like hanging out of the... Of the um, uh, hanging out of the cockpit, uh, messing with the gun. Um, as the plane is flying away from you, and you definitely see another person inside there as well. Um, and uh, uh, but it's hard to see because the hatch is opened up back and it's kind of covering him. Right. So Hugo can't fly a plane, and Isaac crashed, so they had to pick him up. <laughs> and um, 
uh, you see as she like fin- finishes fixing it and she uh, uh, sets it or she sits back in, shuts the uh, hatch and then uh, makes her maneuver. And you see that she made her maneuver basically based on instinct where she thought you were going to be. But you managed to raise your altitude significantly. Uh, so she like ducks down to go for like another pass. And then she's like way, way below you. And it's going to take her so much time to get up to your altitude that it's going to really, really hinder her ability to shoot at you. Barnabas, you're up. Is she still within range of, of me? Yeah, as soon as she went under, you ran... I mean, you'll have to run to the other side of the ship, but yeah, you can still shoot her. You just have to spend an action point to get to the other side of the ship to get line of sight. I think that's doable. I will do so. Yep, you and run fire. over there and uh, go ahead and roll accuracy. Are you doing another call shot at the engine? No, nah, I'm just going to shoot at the plane. Sure. 17. Uh, you take another shot at her, Barnabas, and uh, while she is making her ascent, you see as she cuts the engine for a second to drop and then starts the engine back up and your shot goes wide. All right, I fire once more. All right. 32. Uh, that one hits. <laughs> How much damage is that? 36 damage. You take the second shot as she starts her engine back up and she's trying to raise the altitude and you shoot and it hits one of the like panels on like center body and you see it like like shatter off and fall uh, to the ground uh, and it kind of makes the ship rock a little bit. Um, Yeah, you got a nice solid hit on it. And uh, you see uh, Zeke as finally uh, coming up in formation behind uh, Edith's plane is uh, presumably Hugo's plane, uh, who is now just now catching up uh, to make a a firing pass with her. Um, But they are not in position yet as they are trying to continue to catch up with you. And Talia, five more action points to continue working. All right. Two more action points next turn, and you've given uh, given this uh, this engine as much boost as you can, given the circumstances. Um, and uh, Zeke, you're up again. Uh, all right. So they're they're below our ship, gaining altitude, trying to catch us. Yes. I would like to hit the brakes and drop altitude, and if possible lightly scorch their planes with aether engines. <laughs> All right. Uh, roll dexterity. We'll call it a minus four because this is an extremely difficult maneuver. And this is a called shot. Yeah. Airship. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Barnabas, I need you to roll dexterity for me. Uh, Talia, you too, but you can take it out of plus two. You're in a small enough space that you don't have much much room to fly. Barnabas is on a deck of a ship. Barnabas, grab hold of something. <laughs> Noted. Uh, Talia, what did you get? A one. Okay. Uh, Barnabas? 26. Okay. Uh, you yell noted and you take a knee and put your shoulder under the banister you're nearby and just like wrap your arm around it. Um, and Zeke, what did you get for dexterity? You said minus four? Yes. 18. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you kill the graviton for a second and it just goes just falls like plummets down Barnabas your legs kick up and your arm that's wrapped around the banister is the only thing keeping you from flying up into the sky um and uh uh you see as they uh, as they try to break out of the way uh you turn the rudder so you can like turn with one of them there's they're going either direction who do you want to go for Edith or Edith okay uh so you you turn the rudder so you can turn the engines towards Edith so that when you kick on the aether uh and punch it um you can uh hopefully scorch her a bit um let's see what'd you get an 18 correct 
<laughs> um, uh, you actually catch her with it. Uh, you hit the button to turn back on the graviton. Uh, it hovers you up just a bit, and she's trying to break. She makes like a, a like a loop-de-loop break. She's trying to like pull directly up and spin around the other way to get away from you, and you just scorch the bottom of her uh, of her plane uh, with aether energy. Um, Talia. You uh, were working on the en- engine, and uh, you had like your hand in one of the gears, and uh, and then like there's like a you you hear like just first like a split second you hear the graviton turn off, and you yank your hand back just in time to like stop you from like having your arm ripped off, and then you <laughs> just fly up like back against. Uh, <laughs> back against the uh, uh, ceiling as the thing plummets for a split second and then it turns back on and you (laughs) fall uh, uh, right, just belly flop on the the hardwood floor. Um, And (laughs) uh, you take 12 hit point damage, Talia, um, from smack, smack. Six from the top, six from the bottom. (laughs) Ow. Um, And... uh, uh, yeah, you see as uh, the bottom of her ship gets scorched and, like, the paneling, like, bends and, and, like, cracks and, like, some of it falls off as she pulls out but gets a healthy helping of Aether energy. And uh, as I see that I, it actually worked, I yell out, Purity Aloft can suck at Jinzi's hammer for life! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Zeke, uh, you see from one of your displays as Hugo starts plummeting towards the ground again. (laughs) Oh, Hugo, you're so bad at planes. (laughs) (laughs) With her ship heavily damaged, uh, uh, your maneuver left you stationary enough as you kind of reorient yourself and get yourself back going. Like, you're kind of moving forward, but, like, it's a little out of control. Mostly it was just, like, a burst of energy and you had to lower it down so you didn't just lose complete control. So you're kind of, like getting yourself back oriented and that leaves you open for her to do a finish her loop-de-loop with her ship which is pretty hurt you see some smoke billowing out from it uh and she takes another pass at your graviton spheres uh go ahead and roll evade this time no modifier 14 uh this one will hit And uh, you hear uh, Talia as you're sitting there about to get the engine back up and going. You're, you know, you're close. Uh, and you hear uh, the of the, like, engines. You just, you know, they're constantly there. You can sometimes a little faster, sometimes a little slower. Um, and you hear as there's like a and there's like and the ship rattles and you hear no, 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 no. <laughs> As one of the and above deck, no, 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 no. <laughs> As one of the graviton spheres seems to cease functioning, uh, you now only have three spheres. It does make handling this thing significantly harder now, because um, while the rudders do help with the lateral movement, the graviton spheres also do a significant amount of that work. All I gotta do is touch that statue. <laughs> uh, Barnabas, you're up. Are there any planes I can hit? Without moving. Uh, yeah. Uh, flying over, uh, flying out from the other side, you see, uh, raising an altitude, uh, uh, Edith Graham's, uh, battered plane as it, uh, pulls up and starts turning, uh, left to make a sweep around the backside of the ship. Uh, you have a moment where you can uh, shoot it. I'm going to just do a general shot at it. Okay. 
18. Uh, she uh, cuts her her sweep a little bit so that the nose dips down and your shot goes a little wide. Called shot to her engine. Okay. 33. You hit. Um... Uh, <laughs> How much damage is that? 36. Uh, you take the shot right as she's kind of uh, getting out of your line of sight, cutting behind, um, and your your shot is true. It hits the engine. There's a satisfying <laughs> as the engine bursts in the flames and stops running, uh, and, uh, and you see as the plane just starts <laughs> spinning and falling towards the ground. Um, <laughs> Barnabas fucking guns me. <laughs> All right, and then you run over uh, to the edge. Um, we are out of initiative now. Um, Talia, you finish that a- that Aether engine. Uh, you just stand up. You finish tweaking the gear that you had to finish tweaking. It goes... And, uh, and the two dim just slightly to give a lot of power to the one that was uh, damaged. And there's like a, a spark, and a, like a, you have to jump back from it. Um, but uh, you, you definitely feel like you've at least managed to give this as much boost as you can. And I assume you start making your way down towards to the, the graviton yeah. orb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you start running down towards that. It's a little like a spiral staircase to get down to that part of the ship. Um, and uh, uh, Barnabas and Zeke, you see as um, uh, as Edith's plane is just spinning and spiraling downwards, um, smoke billowing out. She has zero control. Um, and as it falls, uh, you see the top kick off. And uh, she leaps from it with like swan-like grace, kind of like diving out of the way, uh, spinning her body so that she like completely gets away from the uh, the plane. And you see as Isaac is just launched from the centrifugal force, uh, just just like fucking no control. Just his body just gets flung out like a catapult, and his body's spinning and spinning. Uh, Edith uh, spreads herself out and, like, controls her descent to kind of get a little closer to where uh, uh, Isaac is and, like, kind of grab onto his spinning spiral, uh, like, spiraling body and, like, hold him in, in uh, like, lateral so that they can, like, control their descent together. And then uh, at a certain point, you see uh, two parachutes uh, with the Howdy uh, <laughs> uh, flag on them <laughs> um, as uh, as they deploy their parachutes, and also Zeke, uh, with uh, your vision, you're able to see way way off in the distance, uh, skirting like a forest. Uh, Hugo's plane. Oh, Hugo, you can't land there. <laughs> Hugo's plane like pulls up out of a nosedive, <laughs> and it like makes a descent towards a, a pretty shaky messed up landing in like a cornfield oh you'd be better off just jumping (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and you guys are clear of this uh talia it takes you a couple minutes to get that graviton sphere back up uh you know that um, i am very good at graviton yeah and you notice that it's not like truly damaged it's more like the kinetic energy of a bullet hitting the graviton uh uh, field around these orbs uh, disrupts them and they have a failsafe in them that just like puts them at rest so that they don't uh, 
stop spinning entirely, which would make them uh, incredibly heavy, incredibly heavy, which would cause the ship to just plummet completely. Uh, so it would take a significant amount of force to actually damage these things. They usually shut off as a fail safe uh, to give the people who are targeting it what they want, which is turning it off. <laughs> Um, as soon as Talia tells me the ship's good, I gun it because we still have to beat Team Adams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you guys still have about half a day's journey before you are at um, uh, Razul. Uh, but you can see you are now passing over. Uh, you can see like villages and towns and cities as you are well into the heart of Evangles. Um uh, the sky is clear, just a few clouds, um, and you can see off on the horizon uh, the steepled buildings of the capital of Razul as you are slowly approaching it. Um, I mean, you're approaching it quickly, but... It's far enough away. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and you guys get, you know, to rest up. And uh, uh, you guys do anything in particular during that time? I keep an eye out for the barn swallow. Okay. Go ahead and roll notice for me. I would do that as well. Okay. Go ahead and roll notice for me. May I also keep an eye out for El Barnswallow? You sure can. I got a nine. Twenty-one. And Talia? Twenty-two. All right. So, uh, Zeke, you're flying, but you're also still like, you know, there's a lot of monitors for you to watch. and You haven't actually seen like, you know, like you're like. Man, this reflection like back there, I can look there, but I could also look ahead. I could also look to my left. I've never had this much of a sight line on a ship before. <laughs> so it's a little overwhelming. You're tr- you don't know exactly where you should be looking to keep the best lookout. Meanwhile, like Talia and Barnabas are kind of making a patrol, uh, like, you know, keeping an eye on, on as many angles as they can. And at one point when Talia, you two are passing, uh, uh, who got the higher one? I did. Uh, Talia, you hear... Uh, you guys are minutes away from Razul at this point. And um, you got you with that uh, Barnabas, you also hear it because Talia stops and like tilts her head. And then you both run to the side and you see as the barn swallow is moving out from underneath you guys and coming up adjacent to you guys. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they come up and you see... Um, it's just like you've seen it before. It's got a few more nicks and and uh, and blemishes on it. It looks like it the balloon got scorched by something, but is all right for the most part. Seems probably. Um, and uh, it is as you remember it. It is basically a long cylindrical metal tube of a cabin uh, with an octagon shaped window on the front and a very very powerful engine on the back. Uh, and this is strapped as hard as possibly it can be to an armored balloon that is keeping it uh, afloat as it rockets forward. <laughs> and uh, and it comes up and you see uh, through the window, um, you see uh, uh, Hannah Solzen uh, smiling and she gives you guys kind of like a little salute. Uh, Shurkata like grins and looks at you guys and then like two seconds later, Lucius seems to jump into view, like, from, beh- from behind and, like, wave. <laughs> and, like, over his shoulder, the little can opens up and Gearbox ra- uh, raises too, or waves too. Uh, and uh, Hannah punches it. Um, I have a quick question. Yeah. Um, so, is it all the team members have to touch the... Um, touch? Oh, I was gonna crash into that fucking statue. <laughs> Uh, I would I would point out that uh, there is an uh, an active 
aerial military in Razul, and you know for a fact that like that's not something that the court elite would necessarily be able to stop you guys from being punished for is for you to like violate the airspace rules of Razul. Um, you you probably will have to honestly if you don't want to like be shot at by the police and detained uh you can make an emergency landing at the dock and then make your way to the uh to the town square which is a few blocks away from the airship dock you could crash land into it you could try and parachute over it but any unauthorized flyover of the city is going to be treated as a hostile attack all right knowing this i have literally just come up with a plan that I think I would have come up with knowing that long before. Sure, sure. I think we should strap a parachute to Duncan Verter, strap a parachute to Gerald. I'm going to aim this thing, like, to fly over Razul, and we're going to jump out of it. And, um, Talia, I think your jetpack's faster than mine. You're going to fly to that statue while they try and shoot down our plane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my question still stands. Is it just one person touching it or is it all of the team? All surviving team members. All right. So we'll both push Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be a semi-controlled descent between the two of us holding on to Barnabas. <laughs> I think this is the best plan to win this race. <laughs> so I'd- Sorry, Wait, don't need, is there like an autopilot? Easily These done. things basically fly themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but could you like... I'm going to point it so it doesn't crash into anybody. But you're going to crash it. It's no, so pretty. I'm, believe me, you don't have to tell me how terrible it is to let this beautiful creature die at the hands of the Avanglesian military. <laughs> but what, what if we just jump? Well, I need them to look at this and not us. What... What if we, like, light it on fire? <laughs> what? <laughs> if we light, like, a mast on fire, right? Like, not the whole thing. And then it just sort of is on fire, and then they're like, oh, no, it's an emergency, and then they're like, go after it. And we'll jump out, and we'll be, like, legitimately evacuating. That's actually not a bad plan. <laughs> 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 okay. Um. And then we, we, I mean, I can overload one of the engines and it will catch fire and we can blame team cornfoot <laughs> this is fantastic <laughs> this is a great plan the two of us together have come up with the best plan <laughs> let's jump off this ship and win this fucking thing <laughs> guess this is what we're really doing all right <laughs> i guess this is happening <laughs> i do the ginzy salute whatever it is <laughs> We wave back at them. Let yeah, them go. So, so we had that discussion a little while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you guys are able to keep up with them more or less. You guys are neck and neck. Um, the only reason this is possible is actually because the Contessa is already damaged. Uh, it turns out the Barnswallow, not the fastest ship in, ta- in Relusia. Definitely the Contessa. Um, but because the Contessa's engine is damaged, it is about neck and neck. And you guys are racing side by side. <laughs> So, um, it's up to you if you want to race or if we want to win. No, no, we're here to win, Talia. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It just seems they're very nice people. I'd happily get a drink with them. Let's crush them. (laughs) (laughs) Let's crush them and then with our winnings, we'll buy them money. (laughs) Rounds of drinks. Uh, all right, and I shoot out their engine. (laughs) 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 All right. 
take a shot, Wait, Barnabas. No, I'm going to stop Mr. Gansby from doing that. What? I thought you wanted to win. Uh, yes, we're Virgin jumping over the star. side. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Barnabas dejectedly lowers his rifle. You see, as like that happened, like like you look over and Hannah Solson's expression is like, Jesus. <laughs> right, so... So Barnabas is on the deck, like, waving, and they'll see him, and then Talia's on the deck and waving, and then Gerald brings out Duncan Furter, and Gerald's <laughs> waving, and then and then I'm out on the deck and waving, and then the engine overloads like Talia planned, and we all jump off the ship. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, uh, when are you planning for the engine to overload and when are you planning to jump off the ship? Are you planning to, like, you're trying to jump off over the town square? Are you trying to jump off, uh... I mean, I would like to get this ship as far as possible before we get off and fly down to the statue. Okay. So, um... Uh, you, you see like, as you guys are approaching, uh, at high speeds, you, you do see like, there's always like, at distances floating different airships and they all start to converge towards you guys, the different, uh, Evan Glessian military airships. Some, uh, some are, some are planes and some are actual like large ships. And they're, they're slowly like approaching you guys from different directions to like, cause they see that you are not slowing down as you approach Razul. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you, at this point, like you guys are getting near and like, and, uh, Hannah Silzen and Shokata are like white knuckling the controls and they're looking at you guys like, are you going to slow down? Cause they're like, seeming to try and like they don't want to like slow down first but like also it's almost like you guys are playing a game of chicken as you continue to barrel down towards Razul and then uh at that point you step out on the on the dock and they see that everyone's wearing parachutes and uh you see Zeke um very clearly and maybe uh Talia and Barnabas you guys see as well as Hannah Solzin clearly says oh fuck (laughs) and I give her the thumbs up (laughs) and And then her engine blows yeah and then your engine blows <laughs> and uh and you see as she turns and says something to uh uh probably towards Lucius and the engine and uh as your engine blows and you start to dip behind them there's a big as uh, there's a huge burst of energy out of their engine and their speed like doubles and like panels start flying off of the barn swallow as it starts barreling itself away towards the docks <laughs> um uh and uh your ship uh continuing with high speed uh doesn't take the left turn towards the docks uh that are a little uh, uh a little to the east of the town square uh you guys are barreling straight into the dead center of uh of uh, of Razul. um you see the buildings underneath you uh at this point the Evanglesian military ships are uh closing in uh and do you guys jump? <laughs> yes. So um, Gerald has Mr. Duncan Verter sort of attached to him. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go and deploy, like, immediately. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, with a little white flag hanging off. Of <laughs> Gerald. Uh, <laughs> like, so Gerald's holding on to Duncan Furter. He's got him like strapped onto him. Yeah. So Gerald's got Duncan Furter strapped onto his chest like a baby, uh, <laughs> um, holding onto his head. And he's like, <clears throat> and he jumps, whoosh, just goes straight down um, and uh, deploys his, uh, his parachute. Um, and uh, it has the core delete symbol on it <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as it begins gliding down towards the like, 
semi uh, outer ring of the city, uh, and you guys jump off. Uh, at this point, you hear like klaxons uh, from like the various airships that are coming up to like get you. Um, uh, you definitely recognize one as like an emergency response, one that like is probably going to try and board and fix your problems and like save you guys. Uh, and you see that as you all jump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, what exactly is the plan now that you're all airborne? Well, two out of three of us have jetpacks. Okay. We use the jetpacks while holding Barnabas. If he has to deploy his parachute for this to work, I pull his ripcord. <laughs> Basically, I am not that injured. <laughs> Basically, we're going to jump, and between the three of us, the two jetpacks, if Zeke is small, should ha- contain a controlled descent for the three of us. If at any point it feels uncontrolled, we pull the ripcord off. <laughs> <laughs> but we get as close as we possibly can to the town square before that happens. Okay, uh, I need Talia and Zeke. Both of you guys need to roll dexterity. Uh, Barnabas, cross your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What'd you get, Zeke? I got a 30. <laughs> Talia? 28. Oh, man. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I can fly anything. <laughs> Even an old man. <laughs> can I aim for the top of the statue? Um, well, no, no, no. So, so you guys, uh, you jump off and you, in, in order to jump off before, like you're in the control of these ships that are trying to like catch your runaway, uh, airship, uh, you have to jump off a, a decent way away from the town square. You're still, I mean, airborne, it's a lot easier. You don't have to go through winding streets and stuff, but like you still have a good ways to go. And your hope is that you can like slow your descent enough that you can continue with like more or less good forward momentum and not just plummet straight down. And surprisingly, it seems to work. Uh, uh, as you guys are holding on to, to Barnabas, um, uh, you you both power your engines up as much as possible. You see overhead as the Contessa flies uh, with smoke barreling be- uh, behind it and all these emergency uh, uh, ships uh, begin to move in uh, to try and slow her down. Um, you also see that at this point, there's like a... As a very, very hairy emergency docking procedure happens on the uh on the uh docks and uh you see as the barn swallow kind of just like kind of rammed itself up into the docks um uh and you also see three parachutes lowering down (laughs) um as uh as uh team um uh adams seems to uh have all like without much planning followed a similar uh uh idea but they don't have the forward momentum that you guys do so they they drop down uh to your guys's east and they are a good like four or five blocks away from town square and you guys are are making uh you're further away but you're making quicker time as they are now on foot unhooking um zeke you can see all of this unfold with your eyes talia and, and barnabas you kind of like can see where they are but you can't see like the details like zeke can uh as they hit the ground. They start uh, unhooking their um, parachutes, and they start sprinting through uh, the like thoroughfare to try and get 
to uh, to the town square, and you guys are controlling your descent, moving forward, and uh, uh, you see um, them zigzagging through. You lose sight of them for a second. You see, and then they bump into a large elf uh, that uh, seems to get really mad and like uh, tip over a, uh, a, a merchant cart in his like frustration and uh it the elf like turns like and and uh it's at first its back was to you but when it turns to like yell at uh lucius who bumped into it uh you see it's grundlefug (laughs) 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 and bartholo's on his shoulder seeming to like scold team adams as they get up and keep running uh (laughs) trying to like get away from the angry merchant that's like chucking like oranges at them um (laughs) You guys continue. You're lowering down. You're closing in on your goal. You're you're like a good like six, seven blocks away from Town Square. They're about three blocks away from Town Square. They're running, and then uh, you you see as um, uh, two constables come running out of an alleyway and start shouting uh, for people to presumably grab these three. And for a second, a bunch of people, like one elf and like another, uh, like a larger human, like grab onto Shorkata. The human gets flung up in the air, (laughs) smacking into like a wall. And then like the elf gets like punched in the face by Shorkata. At this point, the, uh, uh, the constables seem to reach out and try to grab at, uh, at, um, Shorkata, but he shakes them loose, uh, smacking one of them back. His hat falls off and the other one goes to grab him. And you see that it is Percival and Jebediah dressed up as constables <laughs> uh, as they as they try to slow them down more. Uh, Shorkata continues running as fast as he can. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, you guys are now like three and a half blocks away from the from it. You're making like this descent is fast and difficult. You may need to pop the parachute at the right moment so that you don't just like completely like hard connect into the uh into the statue um and you see as uh i got a lot of hit points <laughs> <laughs> and you see as um hannah Solzin and, and uh uh lucius uh continue running uh lucius ducking through the crowd more easily than hannah can um and also in town square you see there's a large stage and a ceremony uh, taking place you see all the members of the court elite lined up uh waiting eagerly they do look pretty concerned as they are <laughs> as they are looking up like and the crowd is like they seem like they were in celebration there are like buskers around there's like uh games and stuff and everyone's looking up as the contessa is like burning in the sky <laughs> flying and and uh, a couple people are pointing at you guys and uh and then uh they all turn and they see as uh hannah Solzin and lucius get to the town square which is a very large town square um they uh are running and um uh, suddenly there's, uh, someone points up and you see as, um, the, uh, there's a large banner that says sixth annual great Atroposian circuit. It starts falling to the ground, uh, severed and, uh, and Zeke, you with your special eyes are able to look at where it was attached and you see arrows in the, <laughs> in the, in the buildings and you look at their direction. You kind of look over and you see like on a bell tower, you see like boots crouched there. Rat uh, friend. <laughs> <laughs> you see boots like crouched there, uh, holding holding an arrow, deciding whether or not he wants to shoot again. Uh, and the the banner falls down, catching Hannah Solzin, tangling her up. Lucius keeps running. He gets to the statue, turns around, sees Hannah tangled up in a in a uh, in a banner, and Shorkata trying to make his way through the crowd of people trying to detain him. <laughs> and you guys coast in. Uh, do you pop the parachute? 
are we going to die if we don't <laughs> pop the parachute? No. <laughs> no. Prob- we do not. not use the parachute. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yes, we do. Like half a meter from from the actual thing. <laughs> so like and cordelite. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, you uh you guys are uh, approaching with uh with extreme haste and um I need uh dexterity rolls from all three of you. Take this at a minus five. <laughs> Can I do this heroically? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would like to aim for the top of the town square statue. <laughs> you have no control. <laughs> That's a that 25. doesn't stop me. <laughs> All right. 25 for Zeke. Talia, 27. 27 for Talia. Uh, Barnabas. Uh, tier two. All right, Barnabas, you take one wound as uh, as your uh, ribs, which were just in the middle of healing, uh, oh, crash into the uh, crash into the statue where uh, Jarvis Gallant is holding up a sword, and you just like <coughs> <laughs> you just you just like wrap your body around the sword and just like hang there for a second. Uh, Talia and Zeke, you guys, uh, you pull the ripcord on Barnabas's uh, parachute, it goes <laughs> and just like shoots up in the air and like lazily falls down. Actually, Barnabas, it pulls you off of the sword. You're like <laughs> and you just like tumble down on top of it. Um, and uh, Zeke and Talia, you guys kind of grab onto the statue and like tumble your way down it too. At this point, you see like Lucius has gone back to try and help Hannah out of the banner. Uh, and uh, as as they like finally like get her loose, she like cut her way through. She shot a few shots to like get a hole <laughs> and like ripped her way through. And she stands up holding her pistol and her dagger and she's like panting for breath. Uh, and Shorkata comes up. He's got three gnomes on one arm that are trying to like slow him down and one uh one um uh farishta that he's holding at arm's length um uh and he gets there and stands next to um uh stands next to hannah and lucius as they all look at you guys basically sprawled (laughs) over this statue what do you guys do the crowd is dead silent (laughs) i wave at team adams hey I, (laughs) i get up and uh i'm going to go over and limp my way towards Team Adams. <laughs> I'm gonna help Captain. <laughs> as you as you're limping over, uh, the crowd is still silent. You see, as uh, as Shorkata just kind of like takes one of the gnomes and smashes the <laughs> Farishta with it, <laughs> and both of them like tumble to the ground. And he's like, "Buzz off!" And uh, and they're like, "Where'd the constables go?" They're looking around for the constables <laughs> that were chasing them. And he like shakes off the other two, and uh, and they go running off too. After they see like they're standing in front of like a crowd, like wrestling this elf, they kind of disperse. Uh, you approach. Hannah's like pulling her foot out from the banner. Um, and what do you do? I take her hand in mine, and Captain Solzen, I invite you and Team Adams to help celebrate our victory. And I kiss her hand drinks on me she grins and goes well i never say no to a free drink <laughs> uh and a voice booms out over the silent stunned crowd we have a winner of the sixth annual great atroposian circuit and everyone shouts and cheers as uh as um jolly pot jumps off the uh the stage and runs to you guys like good show you did it you did it ha and he turns to the other the other uh uh the other court elite members he's like i told you i told you that these three would be the ones to do it and they do it by the book yes all of you you doubted me and i proved you 
you wrong? <laughs> and he jumps up Barnabas and kicks his heels. <laughs> Book signing tomorrow at three. <laughs> the crowd's cheering. People are shouting. Buskers are playing. Where's Fiddleworth? Uh, oh, yes. I'd like to go punch him in the face. <laughs> uh, you see Fiddleworth uh, is uh, sitting on like a hover chair uh, on the stage. His large body uh, uh, barely contained by his like ill-fitting um, uh, red military uh, uniform. He is – there's a bit of a crowd in between you guys at the moment um, and um, uh, everyone's grabbing onto you. Jollypot is shaking all your hands um, and – Sir Roscoe Berman grabs like a, a microphone and uh, and uh, says, "We stand here today to acknowledge the winners of the sixth annual Great Atrobosian Circuit. That rare and elusive title belongs to none other than." And he gestures to you guys, Team Jollypot. The crowd lifts you guys up on their shoulders and starts like chanting, "Jollypot." Jolly pot. Um, you Guns glance up be. and Guns <laughs> <be>. <laughs> you you glance up as you see uh, Boots like grin and like duck back into the uh, uh, duck back into the clock tower. And uh, Virtue Talia Nazari, Barnabas Gunsby, and Ezekiel Craglin have de- defied all odds and proven to, to the world today that they are the boldest, the brightest, the best, and the most able adventurers this generation has to offer. You guys are being moved towards the stage now through the crowd. Uh, uh, Jollypot now picked up ahead of you in the crowd, being lifted up onto the stage. Um... It is my honor to present them with these medallions, he gestures, and uh, uh, you see as a Duncan Furter um, opens up, uh, opens up uh, like a, a, lo- a like mahogany case with three, uh, three like medals in it with uh, purple ribbons. And uh, these medallions m- uh, mark them as honorary affiliates of the Corps Delete. May you wear these with pride in your heart and the complete knowledge of your unparalleled abilities. Now I invite you to convene with your benefactor, the ever-talented Cornelius Jollypot, as you continue to tread ground so few have and step aboard the flagship of the Corps d'Elite, the Chevalier. And uh, he gestures and coming up from like the the outskirts of the building or of the uh, uh, city, um, still with the Contessa in the distance, uh, seemingly slowed down and uh, being worked on by the uh, by the emergency response airships. I hope they find my note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um uh the uh uh that scene is quickly uh hidden as a large quadruple decked galleon floats up into the sky and starts floating its way over towards the town square. Uh as it gets over there it, sh- it casts a shadow over the square. People are cheering and shouting and uh rope ladders come down. Uh, uh, for you guys to grab onto that will then lift you up. Uh, you see as Corps Elite members are starting to grab onto them and being pulled up by the ladder. Um, and everyone's cheering on you and Jollypot's just like tears in his eyes. Good show, good show! Ah, you didn't think I could do it, did you, Clementine? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you guys do? Do I see Fiddleworth getting on the Chevalier? Yes, you do. You see as his uh, as he presses a button on his like floating chair and it's like and moves its way towards one of the uh, uh, one of the ropes and he reaches up for it. If he's on the ship, I get on the ship. There's time. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, he grabs on and uh, 
buckles himself into his little floaty chair and uh, he gets lifted up. Uh, you guys grab onto ropes as well with Jolly Pot and you get lifted up and uh, you're aboard the um, the largest ship in Evangelis, the Chevalier. Uh, it is like a cruise ship uh, and it belongs only to these 12 people. Um, and, uh, and you guys had the lay of the land. Uh, you, you, there's like, you get lifted up, uh, and you're on like the top deck. You get a perfect view of Evangelis. You see the Contessa, um, uh, the crowd's cheering you guys on, uh, fireworks are going off and, uh, you guys get up there. And, uh, as you guys are being lifted up, uh, Jolly Pot's like laughing and waving. And then he turns to you guys and says, Hey, I just need to ask what happened to the Contessa? Well, um, team Cornfoot shot at us. And they blew an engine. And it was a horrible accident, and we bailed and happened to land on the statue, and that's it. All right. Now we have a unified story. (laughs) (laughs) There is a note to back this up. Fair enough. Uh, On the Chevalier, there is it's about a two and a half hour journey to um, to Rikon, Cornfoot Manor. Uh, where, uh, where you guys are informed that there will be celebrations and you will receive the victor's purse. Cool. I find Fiddleworth. Yeah, sure. He's, a, he's around. You can find him. You have two hours, two and a half hours to do it. Uh, he's in a, he's in like an observatory, uh, being fed, um, grapes from a Duncan Furter. That's disgusting. Um, hey, Fiddleworth, as I walk up to him. Yes. You come at the best, you best not miss. And then I hit him in the dick with my stick. (laughs) (laughs) You do. (laughs) Um, He can't really dodge very well. Um, You see as the Duncan Furter nearby him, he's like, no, and like tries to stop you, but you just jab him right in the dick and he grabs it and falls out of his chair and is like on the ground like, (laughs) 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 I laugh in character at this. <laughs> uh, and Duncan Verder uh, kneels down next to him. He's like, what have you done? You struck a member of the court elite. He's trying to have me killed. He had it coming. I, there's no evidence. I leave. Please leave. Leave now. Yes, you walk away. Talk to Cornfoot's Duncan Furter. He can corroborate. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> sure, Mr. Tar. He goes silent. The only sound is... <laughs> and uh, the, you shut the door. Uh, yeah, uh, you guys basically, you reconvene. Uh, you're kind of like, all of the members of the court elite seem to go to their cabins. They, like, a little upset that they lost, that kind of thing. Uh, Cornfoot does uh, uh, congratulate you guys and, and give you his sincere his sincere congratulations. That was quite the entrance. And, uh, uh, and then uh, he goes off to attend to some things, and uh, you guys are gestured into uh, a cabin, uh, a large cabin, uh, basically a multi-room suite that is Jolly Pot's uh, uh, room. And it has, uh, it has a map laid out in the center of... Uh, of uh Relusia with the uh international railway system actually like a very very like you know three millimeter scale uh version of it with the trains moving around on their schedules uh and um and he uh he goes you you three really really did it i'm so i'm i'm honored to uh to be your benefactor i'm honored to be chosen by you mr jellypot and I shake his hand. 
vigorously. And he shakes it back and he goes, yeah, well, uh, not to, uh, uh, to spoil anything, uh, there will be uh, the ceremony when we get back to Cor- uh, Cornfoot Manor. I do have a couple things I need to attend to. Uh, if the three of you, uh, uh, for your own sake, will stay confined to my room, there's plenty here for you to entertain you for the journey to Cornfoot Manor. And then uh, we can fully celebrate your victory. I sit on the couch and rest. Yeah. I mean, there's basically uh, uh, every amenity you can imagine in this suite. Uh, you guys hang out. Journey goes pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, at some point, I call up to Barnabas. Um, Barnabas. Yes. Um, there's something I need to tell you. What's that? Well, you are, are not a very good writer, <laughs> but you're a hell of an adventurer. You, sh- you should fire your editor. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Zeke. Writing's never been my passion. Adventuring always has been. From you. For what it's worth, I always knew they were all nonfiction. Barnabas smiles. Yes. Yes, they were. And I shake his hand. I pull him in for a hug. No, oh, you're manly, so much bigger than manly me. hug. <laughs> <laughs> I hug him as best I can, given my <laughs> childlike stature. <laughs> it's been good. Adv- and you, Mr. Gunsby. I don't take this the wrong way. I hope we never do this again. <laughs> I got it out of my system. I'm ready to go back to a non-race environment. <laughs> Talia, what are you doing during this? I suppose I'm taking a nap. <laughs> all right oh, is there actually um like a a bath yeah i take a bath there's like a pool-sized bath uh, well i don't want to share you don't have to okay i don't <laughs> yeah i take a bath and then if there's it's, time it's got I take 36 faucets that's a lot and uh an entire wall full of um of different uh uh like bath bombs and lotions and and like you make it all sudsy and fun and you just hang out in the like the most relaxing bath of your life (laughs) yes um yeah and uh you guys get to cornfoot manor you guys are offloaded uh you get there there's a loud shout as you arrive uh with the court elite uh there's tons and tons of people here barnabas you recognize a handful of these people uh talia you see asheron um there it's like all of the big names, royalty from all over, uh, basically all of the friends of the court elite who just really want a reason to be in this manner, uh, <laughs> um, hanging out. And uh, uh, Asheron breaks ra- uh, Asheron breaks rank with the uh, uh, with the crowd and and flies at you with his wings. Talia picks you up in a tackle hug, and he's like Talia, and like uh, the court elite like looks aghast as they dive out of the way. But, like, what are they going to do? He's day society. <laughs> He's like, Talia, you did it. Hi, you're here. Of course I wasn't going to miss this. It's really good to see you. And you too. And he gives you a giant hug again, spinning around with his wings. 
Yay, we spin. <laughs> uh, he sets you down. He looks around. All the court elites looking at him like, come on. <laughs> and he goes, oh, oh, yes, you have a ceremony. Uh, you need to go in the other room. Have your secret dealings. Get the victor's purse. That's great. Uh, I'll see you on the other side. And he, uh, he flaps his wings and floats up in the air. And everyone's like, ooh, ah, <laughs> as he glides over to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> That right? And you guys walk through the Great Hall of the Court Elite, packed with people. Um, you don't see any of the other teams here. Uh, and uh, and you get moved into a, a side room, which is, I say a side room, it's gigantic. It's like a, it's like a feasting hall, a si- an adjacent feasting hall. <laughs> um, and uh, you enter in there and uh, uh, Cornfoot goes, All right, let's get this over with. So, Team Jollypot, you are the winners of the Atroposian circuit. And so, you have won the victor's purse. Come on, everyone. Cough them up. And everyone uh, reaches in begrudgingly into their, like, uh, into their various clothes and purses and stuff, and they each pull out a single duke, and they set them on the table. Uh, you guys have 12 dukes before you. Uh, Jolly Pop puts his in as well. And uh, he goes, as, uh, as within the Atroposian circuit... The, the, the three of you and your benefactor are uh, free to split this bounty however you see fit. He's like, any, uh, any words, Jollypot? And Jollypot's like, I told you! I told you I would do it! You all thought that I was a fool. I was idealistic. You had more fun breaking the rules, but rules are meant to be followed. Things belong in their own special place, and nothing and no machine continues without everything correctly. And they're like, we've heard it all before, and they're all like, start, like, as a group, like, start, like, saying stuff to, like, shut him up. And he's like, I just told you, and you didn't believe me. I hope you'll think twice before you go and hire thugs and mercenaries and monstrosities uh, uh, to be your team. Find true adventurers, and he points at you three, uh, worth their salt, every measure. How eloquent, <laughs> Cornfoot says, uh, and they all, uh, he does turn to you and goes, you truly are one of the best teams we've seen in the Atroposian circuit. Um, but it's time to go to our adoring masses. Uh, Jolly Pot, I assume you want to have a word with your team? He goes, yes, of course. And uh, they, uh, uh, Cornfoot comes up, shakes each of your hand, walks out. Isaiah Basington runs up and shakes all your hands. Good show, good show. It was excellent. I, I, all of the reports, th- thrilling, totally thrilling. And I heard a few special reports from my, uh, from our friends, the special investigators. And he winks a couple times, too many, <laughs> and then, uh, and then goes running out. I would very much like to discuss with him about Team Basington. <laughs> and uh, and Tally also uh, uh, comes up and shakes all of your hands uh, and just like gives you like profound thanks for for what you did and then goes out uh and uh the large double doors shut behind you seeming to shut all the noise of the party behind and uh jolly pot looks at the 12 dukes on the table how much is 12 dukes it is the smallest amount of currency it's like 12 dollars all right or maybe maybe like a duke is like five dollars you could say all right i might go hit fiddleworth in the dick again (laughs) (laughs) um and he looks at the 12 dukes on the table he looks at you and he he smiles he's like so, there may be a few hidden lines in the paperwork I had you sign on the train, most important of which is a non-disclosure agreement. I take four dukes. I'm going to go hit Fiddleworth in the dick again. <laughs> <laughs> take six. I take six. 
Oh, I can have my Duncan photo come and give it to you. Uh, but, but don't don't go off. I mean, please, find an opportunity to hit Fiddleworth in a dick again. Hearing him harumph about it is one of the highlights of my day. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. You three have done me a great service. I've always been looked down on by everyone except Cornfoot. Cornfoot, even to a small degree, seems to condescend from time to time. They all think of me as an idealist. But I knew this circuit could be something great, that it could show people who they truly are and, and bring about an age of adventurers like the Corps Elite in its golden age, before the money, before the glory, back when we were at our roots. And you three embody that spirit. I'm not going to let you just walk away with 12 dukes. I'm a very wealthy and resourceful man, despite what some people might say. And he puts his hands, he hooks his hands in his, uh, in his suspenders. And he goes, so, what would you like? I'll grant each of you a wish. Sky's the limit. What would you like? I would like to publish my adventures in a book with the best editors and the <laughs> best publisher I can find. I'll get you every editor who has graduated, uh, every editor in the prime age who has graduated from every ivory tier university in Tordrian. The best of the best. I'll hire them, I'll cover all their expenses, uh, and I will personally oversee the publishing of all of these novels and... The marketing campaign. Oh, yes. I have many ideas for the marketing campaign. I look forward to hearing them, Barnabas. And he shakes your hand. He's like, excellent. And he looks expectingly at Talia and Zeke. Um, I don't know if this is within your power, actually. He grins at that. I like a challenge. I would like Paldorus to be livable again. He blinks a couple times. I will speak to the military of Zelhost. Zelhost does have a small elite uh, organization whose sole purpose is to study Paldorus and try to figure out how best to make it inhabitable again. There's our hosts, you see, after the, after the Great War, uh, while able to integrate back into the country, uh, the Great War and the Hurricane War have kept them pretty low on the, on the political scale. They've always secretly thought that if they were to move back into old Paldorus and make it part of their domain... It would really raise their uh, raise them up to Evan Glessy, or raise them up to challenge Evan Gless. I can talk to them about that. I can personally uh, call all of my contacts in, on the various storm ships of Paldorus and see if I can get a, a unilateral uh, get an alliance between the old Paldorans and Zelhost to reclaim that land. It will take time, you see, but perhaps in your lifetime will be able to carve a, a significant amount of that land back to what its former glory was. I want to be part of that team. I'm going to be alive another 130 or so years. Who knows what I can get done? I'll see to it, and I'll make sure that my will includes, uh, includes continued funding of this, uh, of this venture. Cool. Thanks. And what of you, Milady Virtue? Um, I don't really want anything. I suppose the... Experience was enough, I think. Um, but I was intending on giving my portion of the purse to Team Adams since they've just got out from under his thumb. But I don't... I don't need your money for that. So I don't really... There's not anything I want. I think I just want to go home. Home indeed. That leads me to my next point. He grins. He looks at the door. He looks back at you guys. I hate everyone in that room. I get it. So, 
I've arranged for our own party. Who would like to go on my personal train? We can head towards Day and get you home in the next few days. I think we have a few friends we need to pick up in Rikon, though. Hmm. Yes. Your friends. About that. I have a well-curated guest list already waiting on my train. All right, let's fucking party. <laughs> did you really it punch is. Mr. Fiddleworth? He did. I hit him with the. I hit him with my fancy stick. Oh, man. Do you want to hit him? I can hit him in the dick I again. It'll the... be a lot easier to hit. I could arrange it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want that. I don't want to touch him. Um, but maybe if you could put this magnet underneath his chair at some point, that would be lovely. He looks at the magnet. Goes who? Yes. <laughs> I don't even need to be there for that. Just horrible person. And he leads you, uh, he goes up to a, a panel nearby a suit of armor. And he presses it with his hand and pushes open a secret, uh, a secret door. Uh, and it has a stairwell leading to a, a private train station housing Cornelius Jollypot's uh, private train. You guys have been on it before. Uh, though right after the uh, the Rinville Adventures Symposium, you guys rode on this train uh, up to Dayan once from Winville to to Dayan, and uh, you guys step aboard, and there's a loud hey, and then champagne bottles, boom, 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 boom. and uh, you guys see uh, waiting on this train. Somehow Cornelius has managed to collect Grundlefug, Bartholo, Boots, Mila Gardener. Percival Blackwater, Jebediah Longsworth, Sven the Seder from Arachrith, uh, Boris the leader, the chieftain of the Silica tribe, Gurnbeld the champion of the Silica tribe, uh, Asheron has made his way down here, presumably from another uh, through another secret passage, uh, Alexei Romanov of the Chektikon military, um, Dimitri his primary servant, uh, Hekaib, Serenpet, and Ramla are all packed into this large uh, party car. And uh, as soon as you guys sit on, there's a... And you guys come out of, uh, of the hill through the waterfall as, uh, as you guys connect to the main line of the uh, International Railway System and uh, begin heading north towards Dayan. Um, and... Um, uh, the, the crowd is cheering and shouting and then, uh, Talia from behind you coming out of the conductor's, uh, the, the conductor's car, you hear, whoop, whoop, and, uh, uh, Gerald grabs you in a, in a hug and, uh, you turn around and you see, um, uh, you see a, uh, you see a Duncan Furter, um, inside, uh, manning the controls as the door shuts behind Gerald. It's not Cor- uh, Cornfoot's Duncan Furter unless he had a miraculous recovery. <laughs> um, and uh, 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 Jolly Pot's like, yes, I picked them up. Uh, I had them picked up out of, uh, out of Rizul. Uh, what you did for Duncan Furter, that was, um, that was truly touching. And you'll be happy to know he's making a healthy recovery under the care of the best uh, physicians Evanglass has to offer. Yeah, um, about Duncan Furter. I know what he is. He looks over at the crowd. Who is now pulling Barnabas in and having drinks? It looks like um, Gurrenbeld, Grundlefug, and 
Percival are all like having a drinking contest, which is a little unfair because Gurnbell doesn't get drunk from from uh, booze. <laughs> um, and you also see Romla like reaching over trying to grab like a bottle of wine and like Saren Pelt like dancing away with her. <laughs> and every time someone walks by with liquor, like uh, a bottle of wine, like Romla tries to grab it and then Saren Pelt dodges around to keep her away from it. <laughs> um, you see Asheron uh, and Boots uh, uh, talking. Uh, <laughs> that seems like a terrible idea. Uh, uh, Alexi and Dimitri are watching the drinking contest with Mila, um, and uh, Hekaib and Bartholo are like deep in conversation in the corner, uh, like having like a really really fervent conversation. Um, uh, and uh, Jebediah is uh, kind of leaning uh, off to the side, like nearby one of the windows, uh, drinking like a, a like glass of like whiskey just watching the whole group and just like laughing at everything he's just soaking it all up um uh and uh jolly pot looks and sees that uh everyone is sufficiently distracted uh barnabas are you joining the party or are you standing around for this joining the party all right so you know, i am the party <laughs> so yeah barnabas is in the midst of that talia are you hanging out or are you and gerald going in to join the party probably hanging out okay at least not going anywhere so yeah, you you hear Zeke say that. Jollypot looks over at the group, sees that they're more or less distracted, looks back at you and goes, and? No more. All right. Who wants to play six cup? I don't know what it is. I'm in. <laughs> oh, it's great. You line up six cups on either end of a table and you throw a ball into each other's cups. And if I throw a ball into your cup, you have to drink. Yeah, I'm in. All right. Let's pour them up. Uh, yeah, and you guys, uh, join the party, uh, you're heading up north, anyone else, uh, anyone else looking to think, uh, achieve anything? Sven does come over to you, Talia. <laughs> uh, and you do see, you do see Jebediah soaking in everything, including you talking to Sven. <laughs> and he comes up and he goes, that was an impressive, uh, uh, entrance. Quite. Uh, we had to evacuate. I wink. <laughs> Awkwardly. <laughs> He, he he laughs. Uh, he offers you a glass of wine. I take it. Uh, and he and he goes, well, to Team Jollypot then. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad uh, he was able to uh, to get in contact with me and Boris and uh, me, Boris and Gurrenbelt. And I'd like, I'm glad to be a part of this. Glad you're here as well. I thought it would be a long time before I got to see you again. Apparently not. He smiles, and you guys talk. About he start he starts talking about his latest project. Sure. <laughs> oh, eventually I introduce him to Jebediah because we're all engineers. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Jebediah jumps at the chair. He starts talking to you guys. You guys end up sitting and talking shop, and uh, 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 Jebediah starts drawing up like the basically Jebediah has to really really work to convince Sven that the uh, that the silver spittoon actually operates the way he says it does. <laughs> he's like drawing like basically on like a napkin, he's drawing the di- the schematics for the silver spittoon. He's like, no, really, I swear, it stays in the air. <laughs> um, the drinking contest is going on. Uh, Ashron comes over to you and your three guys uh, I, yeah. with boots uh, drunkenly like with his arm around him. He's like, your friend here is hilarious. <laughs> he points at boots. Just like Salia. Hey, hi. How's it going? <laughs> hi. <laughs> this is great. Who are these guys? <laughs> um, friends. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, friends, like friends, friends. Who's this guy? And he points at Asheron. 
He's like, I've told him like 20 times. He's my brother, Boots. <laughs> but he, ooh. Mm, I need a drink. <laughs> he takes a drink and he like tries to like sit down and talk to you guys. And uh, uh, I imagine he falls asleep rather quickly. He falls asleep rather quickly as you guys continue to talk about shop stuff, like engineering stuff and everything. He's like, I once made a bear trap. It was. It took like three days, but I did it, and I didn't catch a bear. <laughs> <laughs> it got stolen, <laughs> and then he falls asleep. Right. And rat friend. Runs over to you, Zeke. Rat friend. <laughs> Me and Rat friend play six cup. <laughs> um, and we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light. Then we'll throw up, pass out, wake up, and then go drinking once again. <laughs> Barnabas leading a drinking chant, uh, doing like a dosy do with Alexei Romanov, the general of uh, uh, the financial general of Chektikon. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, anyone else want to achieve anything? Else? Nope, just snuggle uh, in with Asheron. Oh, and on the way north, you guys uh, pick up Team Adams from uh, from Razul, uh, and they join the party as well. Yeah, and I write them a check. <laughs> Barnabas, how many drinks do I get? And then you hand her the check and she goes, never mind. <laughs> and like in a flash, like tucks it into her, uh, into her bra. And then she like looks around and she goes, let's party. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the train chugs on forward. You guys have three days of this on your way to Dayan. And that's where we'll end this campaign. Post game chatter, series four. So we are victorious. So we've just finished recording episode twenty of series four, Tefra, and now we are here to chat a little bit about. Uh, what we thought of the campaign. Yeah, I guess uh, my first question to all of you as players is, do you have fun? Do you like it? Do you love me? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'll think about yeah. it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting um, uh, concept of a campaign that, uh, like I've said before in Words with the GM, I got a very long time ago, only got to play a couple episodes of. Uh, so I am uh, very, very much uh, uh, happy that I finally got to like play through the Atroposian circuit. I got to do this campaign. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, did, did you guys, uh, how'd you like your characters? Let's, let's start with, let's start with like story bits that you liked, uh, or didn't like or whatever. We'll talk about like the campaign as like, as from a player's perspective, uh, before we talk a little bit more about the system. I was also a part of that campaign that only went a couple sessions and it was really great finally do it because yeah. i even played barnabas gunsby in that same campaign yeah and i was so pissed because i didn't feel like barnabas's story was fully told you guys like barely made it past day in and then and then the group fell apart and we didn't we didn't finish it uh and uh you never got to find out until now a couple years later what duncanfurter was <laughs> yeah that always haunted me it's like <laughs> Duncan uh, Dan, Addy. <laughs> um, there are some really great parts. 
usually during um, really high like tension like things and other campaigns. Um, or in other systems, it's like you are tense, but you're not that tense because, you know, it's shadow run and you've got 50 passes and other people, like everything takes like so long once you're in initiative to like resolve. Whereas like um, in this system, it was really interesting because like the fights and, you know, like in old pal Doris and then like when we were, um, you know, fighting tank and then uh, crashing <laughs> into <laughs> Razul or over Razul, I guess. It was uh, a kind of tension and like excitement that uh, I ha- hadn't had sort of um, before in, in an RPG, which is something that I really liked. Um, those like those moments were pretty Pretty great. A lot of times when I play other RPGs, uh, I like the system makes me think of it like in a realistic light. Like my my, the images in my head are are like you know like real world images. I try to conjure. I try to make it very realistic in my head. When it comes to this campaign in particular, I I see it animated like a Disney movie. That's <laughs> I I can't not see it that way in my head. <laughs> and yeah, so exactly. it becomes like this like kind of cartoonish fun like uh, you know fantastical uh, uh, journey. And I think uh, part of that is is attributed to the to the like world of Tefra and the fact that steampunk is a little uh, a little on like the wacky side. Yeah, I found I found the world to be really interesting and it really contributed to sort of the like we went through some serious stuff but it was relatively lighthearted in sort of the fun moments in a way that like i mean Shadowrun when we played it like there were parts that were very very funny but like there was also this sense of seriousness in all of it given the subject matter and in tefra it was like tali just turned her robot into a hat and i guess we've got a <laughs> gun that can like Fuse people's eyelids, maybe. <laughs> and she built a jetpack in her spare time. And I can hit people with a stick real good now. <laughs> Just the whole thing. It's like all of a sudden you can do all of these things every time you level up. And the world itself is just so weird. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, uh, what about the system? Uh, how did you guys uh, enjoy the system? The clockwork system, D12s, tearing up your successes, uh, the way that characters level up, all of that. Uh, anyone got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about this quite a bit, actually, Tommy, where we'd, we'd gotten through maybe like half the episodes and I told you that, like, I really wish I'd had a better idea of how the system worked out in leveling up and had a better idea for where I wanted my character to go at the beginning because Zeke was a lot of fun to play, but he was sort of hodgepodge together mechanically of, like, mm-hmm. This is sort of, he started out like his, the idea for this character was he was a pilot. And then at the end, he's a monk. Yeah. <laughs> and never got better at yeah. flying anything. <laughs> if I decided from the beginning, Zeke is going to be a melee character who focuses on grace as his primary attribute, he would be much more effective than he is. And like one of the saving graces of Zeke is that he's really good at luck. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's a couple key luck specialties that mean it's okay that he's actually terrible at almost everything. That's not dexterity or spirit. Right. Right. Because if you like one of the, one of the best, uh, uh, specialties in, in Tefra is uh, lucky number seven, where if you roll a seven, it also explodes just like if you roll a natural 12. Yeah. I mean, I took that and then later I got, it's a stance called free from failure where you still get to add your bonuses to ones. Yeah. My spirit attribute is 23. 
So it's impossible like, for you to roll. If less I than do a T3. anything heroically, I automatically get a plus six to it. Yeah, and have a very good chance of getting a plus twelve. Yeah, which makes like Zeke somehow an all arounder, even though on paper he is very specialized into spirit and uh, dexterity. Yeah, like I never noticed anything in the entire game because my cunning is terrible. <laughs> but like, I got gassed late in the episodes, and I shouldn't have been able to deal with that. But I'm very lucky, very <laughs> heroic. Uh, what about you, Addie? Um, so I like the clockwork system. I think it's interesting. I really like the like hit points wounds thing, though. After level like four, you, you're really not in danger of dying anytime soon. Like, like it has to be like a massive sort of like hit that you take or, um, or like there has to be other environmental factors to like really knock you down so that you could be in danger. And, uh, but I, I like the, you know, D12s. I liked rolling the D12s. You don't get to do that. Yeah. Um, but as far as like the character leveling system, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And for a lot of reasons, um, and it's not to knock the actual system because playing it, once you've done the whole like, okay, it's time to level up thing, <laughs> you've made your decisions and you start playing, so fun. Yeah. But like, I don't think I'm ever going to play this game again because I hate making a character and I hated making the decisions. Yeah. Um, it's it, to, to shed some light on that, like, uh, I think we may have mentioned this before in Words with the GM, but just because I don't remember... Um, uh, the way like your character gets a lot of their stats, like accuracy, evade, defense, priority, uh, strike, all of those times when I ask for things. And hit points. And, and hit points, yeah. Hit points, which are different from wounds. Every time I ask for those things, um, uh, they're not uh, like based on their attributes, like their dexterity or their brute or something like that. It is purely based on which specialties you chose for your character. Every time you level up, you get to pick a specialty. And usually it's like a cool thing, like Zeke's ability to flicker or uh, Talia's ability to charging ram. And then also give you like plus one accuracy, plus two defense, plus seven hit points. Um, and so the only way for you to get those things, like if you want your character to be good at accuracy or good at strike, like you have to pick specialties that give you those bonuses, but also like you have to balance that with getting specialties that you want the abilities of, like you want to have a swashbuckling character, but you need better strikes. So that means maybe not these specialties. And there's like hundreds of specialties in the book. And it's so it like, it does, it is in fact very, very challenging to like have that macro vision of like how all of this is going to come together and not to overlook uh, a specialty that like later you're like, shit, why didn't I take that? That would have been great. The weirdest thing about the system is that in its rules, it is extremely rules light, which is why like it is really fun to play. Like you play it, everything flows very smoothly. You can just kind of like as a GM be like, that sounds like a dexterity role. Go for it. That sounds like a, a cunning role. Go for it. Like, and like you can kind of like free form a lot of the rules and make them up as you go a little bit because, uh, the game itself mechanically is very rules light in every aspect, except creating a character. It's almost as crunchy as a Shadowrun character creation. Almost. <laughs> well, I would say that once you've created your base character in Shadowrun, it's way easier to like yeah. maintain leveling up every three or four episodes in this campaign was like a like a labor for me like it was like first of all you have to read through 
150 to 200 pages of things because there might be something in a category that you didn't know that you wanted and yeah. you didn't read it. And so now you have to find the specialty that you want. And maybe it's not the specialty that you were going to take because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then also... There's just so many factors you have to consider to try and build the character that you want mechanically. Yeah. Uh, and it, it can be very overwhelming and uh, difficult and um, uh, to a degree time consuming. One of the things I like about the system is like, yeah, there's a lot of options and it's kind of difficult to sift through. But once you like sit down, read through them and be like, oh, yeah, I think that'd be interesting to take. There's actually a lot, a lot of stuff you can do with it. Lots of different uh, character concepts that can come out of it. And I, I really like the combat just because of how it flows. And like it's it's a weird mix of, yeah, it's rules light. But there's lots of tactical options you have because of all the specialties. I do really like the like action point economy. Yeah, uh, I do here. really like I, the fact that it's like you know you start off with three, and every every four levels you get like an extra one, and like it's really neat to like figure out these cool combos you can string together given how many action points you have. Like you pick your specialties based on that and you can do some really interesting stuff. And like if, if you like can take the time to wrap your head around like all of the options, you can come up with like some really interesting ways to tie certain abilities together. And that's, that's, um, from my, from my jamming point, as far as mechanics and stuff go, like this system, I love it and sometimes I hate it, but I mostly love it. Um, yes, and the, the main things I would want to touch on as like, as far as a GM goes is, um, uh, this, uh, game, it has a few instances where there are specialties that give you the ability to do something. Um, and then, uh, no rules regarding those actions. If you don't have the specialty, like a really good example happened really early in the race, uh, Zeke was like, I want to ram them with this boat or with this ship I'm piloting. And there's a specialty called Ram that makes it so like you could do really like you can do like damage class like 10 and ram somebody with your ship using like your uh, ace skill and stuff. Um, but like there's no rules around like collisions or anything like that. That is something I have to make up. And so what it made me do is like if I didn't have a good concept of what specialties are available just generally, I wouldn't know how to scale those things. Like, um, cause if you don't have the Ram specialty, obviously your Ram should not be as effective as is if you did have the Ram specialty. Otherwise why take the specialty? So I have to like know that that specialty exists, go and look and be like, okay, so Ram is like da damage class 10. Your ship doesn't take damage. So I guess I'll homebrew, like you do damage class like five and you take like two damage class for like, you know, hurting your own ship and it's not as great. And like, there are a couple things like that, that like there, there feels like there, there should be rules revolving around it just as general, as far as like how like the world interacts with itself. Uh, and, uh, and you got to kind of like know how to figure that one out. I will say the system is very, very rules light in how you interact with the, like how the world interacts with itself. Like you've mentioned, but it's really, really crunchy in what a character is capable of doing. Yeah. In a way that like, yeah, exactly. so like one thing that's really interesting is that basically none of the specialties, um, give you anything to do out of combat. Yeah. All of them relate to what you can do in a fight. Mm -hmm. 
it's like, okay, well, you leveled up. You picked a specialty that makes you stab better. And then you leveled up again. And it's like, now you can stab like four times in a turn. Then you leveled up again. And it's like, you could do a wield swords. And you level <laughs> up again. And it's like, now those swords can be huge. And you level up again. And it's like, okay, but what if I want a specialty that makes me better at talking to someone? Right. There's like none it of them. It doesn't those. exist. There's none. All you have to do, you just pump points into cunning skills. And all of a sudden, you're great at anything that requires you to talk to anyone. Right, because your cunning is off the charts. Like, it, there's no there's no ability to invoke. Like, I use this thing I got from leveling up. Is one thing, you know, one, one set of abilities that don't necessarily for combat, but the crafting in this. The craft, yes. and I don't think that's something we went really into detail just because of the nature of it and, you know, trying to keep the pace of the episodes going. Uh, but the crafting in this is really cool. I, I really like it. Like, uh, and you can either, you know, oh, I just dabble in crafting and, you know, improve a couple of weapons or like what Barnabas did. Or you have like Talia making automatons. Uh, but there's also stuff like alchemy and um, the bioflex that they talked about. Yeah, yeah, you got. I to, did end up with a bioflex gun I never used. Yeah, yeah, we like uh, you when you made that level up after you got that bioflex zapper. You, you, uh, uh, we repurposed it uh, into uh, into like a, a shield gun because it's actually an augment you can give a bio zapper. Is you can make it like part like have like an energy shield. So we flavored it as like a cool like shield you can turn on and off that also shoots energy out that does shit to people. But it never really came up. Uh, you I had get, more important things to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you can, you can do all sorts of stuff like alchemy. You can start making healing potions that you can throw at people and heal them in mid combat. Yeah, yeah. Or like poisons that you can toss people or acids. Like the the specialties are like half everything and half crafting. Like that's the amount of real estate that the crafting. Yeah, has I mean, I think that's that's an important part when talking about like Addy. You've talked about how difficult and challenging and frustrating it is to level up your character. And you're talking about like looking at specialties. Like I had a hard time looking at like how do we make Zeke better at hitting things, and that's you know a pretty big section of the book is that. And then I would like flip to the crafting to hand it to you, and like you had to look through literally as much just for crafting as I had for anything else Zeke might do. And like when you're part of your character's primary thing is that they're good at science in this game, I can't even like. When we started this campaign, me and Tommy sat down and I was like, I want to make a crafting character. And Tommy looked at the crafting girls and was like, so you have to do this and this. And I was like, I don't want to make a crafting character anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, the crafting rules are super cool and actually like pretty intuitive once you understand the lingo. Um, and at that point, like you just have to sit there and like kind of figure it out, which is kind of like true of a lot of different uh, RPGs. Um, and but like. They are expansive, which is neat because if you're one of those people who likes to like uh, to like think about the cool things you can make, um, the best part about crafting, in my opinion, is that uh, it's all really freeform as far as how the flavor of it goes. It's like you can make an automata. You also get so many augments you can put on it that add other rules to your automata. After that. They can look and act however you want as long as they follow like a couple guidelines, which is how Gerald was able to retain his all of his stats and all of his abilities when he got turned from a giant tin man into a ma- metal hat crab. <laughs> it's this really weird dichotomy of like if you like really crunchy games, playing Tephra probably doesn't 
hit that for you, but making a tougher character would. If you like rules light games, making a tougher character is going to suck, but playing tougher will probably be pretty fun. Yeah, that probably uh, probably speaks to why Covert and I like this game so much, because our two top games are like Dungeon World, which is similar to Uncharted Worlds, and Shadowrun. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> makes love, perfect sense. We love both extremely rule light and extremely crunchy. Yeah, I think for me it's the the inconsistency that that gr- drives me bananas. Yeah, it, it like fucks with your brain. <laughs> well, I that's exactly part of why I love it. It's like because in Shadowrun, the crunchy stuff I like is the character related stuff. It's like okay, what cool shit am I gonna make them do? But when I get out into the world, it's like, okay, I really don't want to roll to, you know, matrix perception. Hold my breath. Matrix and, perception. How many marks do you have? What's your overall score? Do you, yeah. Like, yeah. So like, I just want to. You want, I just want to get on with. It. Yeah, you want interacting Where, with the world to be easy and, and rules light, but you also really, really like the massive amount of options that comes with creating a Shadowrun character. And I think you, yeah. you kind of, you kind of hit that, that sweet spot right there with Tefra where it's like creating a character extremely detail oriented extremely difficult interacting with the world very very streamlined and easy you roll some dice shit goes crazy and it's fun and and before we move on to questions from the listeners I do just want to reiterate like one other thing uh, which like as I'm like as we're saying this it kind of like wraps back around to the fact that like the world of Tefra so fucking cool oh yeah I love this world I love the setting um my favorite thing about this system is that the world, like the world they created, it inspires me as a GM to like want to tell cool stories inside this world. Like every time I read like another part about this world, I'm like, that's so fucking cool. I want to play with that. And, uh, and so that was, uh, that's why it's like so much fun for me to run this game. Uh, all right, right. We got to move on, uh, and, uh, get through some of these questions from you, the listeners. All right, so we got a lot of questions from you guys, and we're going to try and get through all of them. Um, and to start it off, uh, there was one recurring question. A few different people asked uh, pretty much the same question, so I'm going to read off those three first uh, and then just kind of answer them all in one go. Um, so uh, Nick wrote, uh, Tommy, the work you've clearly put into this campaign is staggering. We've heard your detailed dossiers on the backgrounds of the other teams, but did you have ideas of what was happening to them over the course of the race when Team Jollypot wasn't around too? Uh, and Robert wrote, uh, how do you deal with the logistics of the circuit being a race between 12 teams? Did you plan out the standings and actions of the other teams or did you just wing it? Especially, how did you determine which place Team Jollypot would be? It seems a hard thing to do as a GM without railroading the whole adventure. Uh, And then Grant wrote, How did Tommy determine the race positioning of the opposing teams between sessions? Was it based on roles, some other system, or was it based on what would be interesting from a story perspective? Great season. Thanks for putting it out there. Uh, first off, thank you, all of you, for your questions. Um, so let me just going to reveal my process when it comes to, uh, to, uh, uh, how I, how I worked with the teams. Um, it's kind of inherent in my, in my general jamming, uh, style. Basically, I took Team Jollypot out of the equation and ran through in my head how the race would go. Um, and, uh, who I think would be like in the top five and when the other people would quit that kind of thing. Uh, and I just kind of like ran that scenario in my head. And, uh, and then after I did that, um, I, uh, thought about, okay, well, where's team Jollypot going to have a chance to, uh, 
interact with this, basically. Which teams are they going to meet and when and where? And uh, and then from there on out, I could kind of have an idea of like, maybe Team Jollypot could change the th- a thing this way, or maybe Team Jollypot could change a thing this way. Like, I don't know, maybe you guys didn't want to be heroes and you just let Augustus Lodge drop Ezra Keaton into some lava. And it's like, well, okay, well, Team Nightingale's out a little earlier than I expected. That kind of stuff. Um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of work, but um, ultimately... Uh, 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 keying into what Grant said, it was more or less based on like uh, the story elements of it. Uh, I didn't roll for it. I kind of predetermined how the race would go without Team Jollypot and then let you guys uh, fuck with it however you wanted and then just adjusted. <laughs> cool. So our next question comes from Nick. Uh, Tommy and Addy, how do you decide when to bring in an essential NPC? Uh, in this series, for example, I was confused why the urchin who Talia befriended didn't get to be Welby, but a random pilot later on did. Or why Tefra's Grundlefug has seemingly so little in common with D&Ds. Uh, did you want to go with that first? or? Yeah, um, so the Grundlefug one is pretty straightforward. Um, my Grundlefug from D&D is not the original Grundlefug, even though it's the one that you guys were exposed to first. Um, so I had been... Uh, kind of debriefed as to who Grundlefug was and then got to decide what I thought that meant. And they described like dirty hippie. Uh, That was the OG Grundlefug. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I took it to be like a really magical dirty hippie. Um, Yeah. Uh, That kind of the the main thing is uh, with each of these uh, characters, uh, the essential NPCs, if you will, without really writing them down or fully discussing them. Uh, Addie and I kind of um, have, at least I do in my head, like bullet points of like defining characteristics. Like Grundlefugs, for instance, are like attuned to nature, possibly very magical, uh, helpful, likes pot. <laughs> um, and uh, and then I take that and then I I, I let the uh, the setting he's in inform the rest, um, which uh, for uh, Grundlefug. Um, his first and last name is actually Bartholo Grundlefug, so I had fun in Tefra splitting him into two characters because Grundlefug is typically an elf, but elves are so different in uh, Tefra than they are in any other system um, that uh, I wanted uh, I wanted to touch in on the gnome part because gnomes are like super attuned to nature. But as for uh, Welby, not every single orphan, small, sad child uh, <laughs> is going to be Welby um, uh, just because. Welby is all about like innocence and calling things out kind of in a childlike way. And um, and I imagine why the urchin in the roost didn't get to be Welby is because, you know, she was uh, a little bit of an alcoholic. <laughs> well, world weary already at the ripe old age of eight. So and while you go to Key and Drew and these gnomes are very naive, uh, <laughs> some of them. And uh, so he. I imagine that he felt more like a Welby too. Yeah, it was it was the naivete that that really uh, uh, that really made that guy Welby. Um, that and the fact that I didn't plan a name for him, <laughs> uh, which is another time. I think that's one of the reasons why we why, or that's one of the things that 
plays into when we bring an essential NPC. And if sometimes we need an essential or we need an NPC on the fly, we reach our hand into the essential NPC bag and find the one that fits. And we're like, it's this guy. Ha ha. <laughs> um, and so Nick's second question is uh, Tommy and Dan Zeke's crazy abilities, uh, get real big and bird murder seem pretty powerful. <laughs> Uh, how did you limit yourselves, uh, each other, to keep things from getting out of hand? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you did in one way, whether it was conscious or not. I think you did in one way. Um, and and that was uh, the few times that your bird murder, <laughs> which should definitely be the name of it instead of avian wrath, uh, uh, the, the couple of times that it didn't hit. You didn't try again. You moved on to a different thing. <laughs> That's a good point. I think another thing is like Zeke's really good at anything he can do heroically. And trying to murder everyone we meet with birds isn't exactly heroic. <laughs> so he's not actually great at it. If he gets to save a life through bird murder, Zeke's your guy. <laughs> I think that's sort of the limiting factor. Yeah. Um, as far as from a GMing standpoint, uh, one of the adjustments I made uh, to kind of compensate for uh, for that ability and how to make it a little less powerful is I just gave everyone better evade because you have to succeed on an accuracy test to do that. And your accuracy wasn't super high. <laughs> no, it was never great at any point in the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I don't think Get Real Big is actually that powerful it's super amusing. no it's actually like mechanically uh it takes my brute from negative two to positive two and then i don't have any brute skills so i'm actually just a bigger target <laughs> <laughs> all right um so robert uh sent us another question um which is uh, if it doesn't become clearer during the last episodes, can we get a bit of background on Asheron and the Ashen Angels? Or do you want to keep it secret for maybe a revisiting campaign? This subplot is by far my favorite. I actually like Asheron, to be honest. Um, yeah, we can get into that because uh, it's not really uh, uh, something that is fodder for like a future campaign hook or anything like that. It's, you know, it's more like in the past, honestly. Um but uh, the Ashen Angels in the Tefra universe, um, are, they are kind of terrorists uh, to a bit. But, you know, uh, I like to think that, like, maybe some of them at least started out or still are, like, more, like, freedom fighters than, like, you know, civilian casualty terrorists. But the, the idea of the Ashen Angels is they are standing up against the injustice in Dalvosia with the class system where, uh, you know, winged Farishtas rule over all without any regulation or anything. Uh, they just have everything they want and they decide everything. And then Farishta below that are still miles above anyone else in Dalvosia. Everyone else in Dalvosia is a second-class citizen or worse. Um, and uh, uh, the Ashen Angels are trying to, like, fight for equality in uh, uh, in Dalvosia. And, of course, you know, the Day Society sees that as acts of terrorism. Um, when you made... Uh, Asheron, as a background character, uh, I can't remember if it was you or me who first decided to link him to the Ashen Angels. Uh, that was you. I created him and both sets of Talia's parents, um, and then uh, you, and then I handed them over to you to do what you wanted with them. Yeah, and I think the one thing is you wanted Asheron to be likable. Yeah, I wanted him to be likable, and I wanted him to be as good as somebody in the day society could be with all of the sort of like 
pre-revolution French-ishness that yeah. it <laughs> Exactly. Which which was like, I was like, okay, well, how do I make Asheron down to earth? Like when you're born into the day society, you might not have the opportunity to understand like the the privilege that you have. And you might just think like what you've been told is true. And I was like, well, uh, for a day society person to question that, um, maybe they're just intrinsically like very insightful about how the world works, but more likely they've been approached. And, uh, and then I kind of went from it with there and, uh, and I really liked, uh, Percival Blackwater was a character that I had already had in the campaign as an ashen angel to kind of touch on that with Talia and see how she reacted. And, uh, I immediately was like, yeah, uh, Percival knows her brother. And that will be like a really fun, like little, like, uh, oh my God, what my brother's like, you know, not everything I think he is, um, which, you know, to Talia at first is like, oh my God, my brother is like tainted. But in fact, it's like your brother's a fucking hero. <laughs> yeah. I always assumed that, um, that even though Talia was very, um, unaware, uh, Asheron saw that Talia was being, you know, m- mistreated and it, it, he was able to see that perspective of his sister being taken away just because, you know, she was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I always like to think that that was one of the reasons that he was like, you're terrorists, but maybe you can be yeah, freedom fighters. It was probably the fact, like, seeing you be treated as, like, lesser than the rest of your family was the first, like, seed in Asheron's, uh, you know, ability to uh, uh, possibly see the other side of the story. And then uh, eventually, you know, some situation occurred where he could have, like, ousted an ashen angel person and he chose not to because he thought maybe they were doing the right thing and then it kind of snowballed from there and as far as his history with percival is uh uh it was kind of that like percival finally like did something in in dalvozia that was uh so punishable that like if he got found out it was done um and uh and asheron uh basically like helped him escape dalvozia um and uh yeah uh, that's it for Robert, uh, though he does say, uh, lastly, not a question per se, but thank you for including some queer characters and romance into the cast. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome, Robert. <laughs> we we tried to uh, be as inclusive uh, uh, as a table as we can, uh, given the fact that we are all white, uh, <laughs> c- cisgendered, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> middle class people. <laughs> Um, so, uh, let's follow that up with a question from Thomas. <laughs> um, so question from Thomas, love your podcast. Thank you. Uh, how do you feel about the, uh, the fact that Tefra, the steampunk, uh, tabletop RPG has died shortly after season four began? Uh, how do you feel about that covert <laughs> as, as the absolute biggest fan of Tefra, uh, uh, okay. I know. And how did that make you feel? <laughs> Uh, dead inside. <laughs> um, uh, they are opening up the clockwork system for open game license, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, that's and they're still, I think they said they're still going to make supplements. Yeah, the way the way I I choose to look at it is, um, you know, you do have now that the the clockwork system is like open source and like Tefra is just kind of out there for people to use how they please. Uh, you do have people who just like kind of go and snag the the system and don't pay any mind to the world, which, like I've said, the main thing I love about Tefra is the is the setting. It's 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 you know it's inspiring, and uh, so like it is kind of disappointing to know that like 
you know, many people who do even touch on Tefra just to take the clockwork system, you know, won't really like explore the, uh, the subject matter. Um, but even still, um, I think since it's out there, like no game really dies. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I was going to throw in. It's, it's like, um, RPGs don't really die. Um, the, the company's moving on definitely, but, um, you know, for a long time, there wasn't a new version of, uh, paranoia, which is an RPG that people love, but could never quite you know, uh, find a company to stick with it, uh, long enough. And, mm -hmm. uh, people were still playing old versions 10 years after they hadn't published anything. So I think that people can take heart in the fact that this is a pretty solid setting. And, um, with, uh, it, the clockwork system becoming open source, there can be a lot of, um, uh, fan made stuff that could be pretty great for Tefra too. So, uh, I wouldn't count it out just yet. Uh, all right. So, um, Irie, uh, has a few questions for us. Um, Irie asks, uh, Addy, I loved T Talia's catchphrases. Uh, and I noticed that very exciting was in her intro as well. Do you usually go into campaigns with character quirks like this in mind? And have you ever dropped a preconceived one or developed new favorites during gameplay? Actually, we record the intros after we do uh, our bonus episode recording. Um, so I came up with that on the fly, just the, the very, the, the very exciting. Um, and uh, it did actually, I used that less and less as she became less and less excited. Um, <laughs> as she saw more of the real world. Um, and, uh, and it became much more, um, oh, cripes. Yeah. <laughs> that became her catchphrase about halfway through. Um, but uh, as far as character quirks, um, that's what I love about characters. I make characters and give them terrifying fears or um, make them mute or... Um, Things like that to my favorite thing to do. And you guys who have listened to the podcast know, um, I love to hobble my characters. <laughs> uh, mouse cannot tell a lie. Uh, and, and so as far as quirks go, that's, that, that is definitely, um, something that I do with every character. I go, okay, how can I make this character mine? Yeah. You, um, you know, the, the mechanics are less important to you than like the, like personality of your character. Yeah. Thanks for asking the question, because I got to do the catchphrases one last time. <laughs> um, uh, Irie also asks, Ryan, um, I'm curious about how much prep work you did concerning Barnabas's novels. Did you have ideas for the specific plots of a couple of popular ones, or was the whole device left to be determined? When it comes to <laughs> planning in RPGs, that's something you won't hear in the same sentence concerning anything I do. <laughs> uh, I may, I like to make stuff up as I go, kind of both as a player and a GM. Uh, it's more fun. It, uh, also, I don't have to worry about, you know, changing things. If somebody wanted to, you know, if somebody wanted to throw in something for one of my books instead of like, well, that's not what happened in my book. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think Talia I came with. up with more of the titles for your books than you did. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's and it kind of opens it up to like uh, if 
okay, this happened. Oh, yeah, just like when I was <laughs> at X and then Y happened. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it works better as like just a catch-all, like, of course Barnabas wrote a book about this. <laughs> um, final question from Irie. This is for everybody. Uh, is there anything about a steampunk setting that you find more or less fun than other fantasy genres? We haven't heard from you for a minute, Dan. How about you go first? Oh, man, put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's really a steampunk thing, but like I keep going back to Tefra's handling of lateral jumping. <laughs> you can jump 40 feet from a standing position if you roll good. You can be standing perfectly still. And then you roll a tier four success and you move 40 lateral feet. That's so far. That's so far. I think I mean I think that that plays to kind of what we've said before, which is um that steampunk allows itself to be larger than life and uh, and unrealistic in the like most fun ways, uh, and that's what I like about uh, the steampunk setting is that like you know you can very easily like just wave away any like wait how does it doesn't matter it's steampunk it doesn't matter how does it matters that it did, <laughs> uh, and that's what I like uh, most about steampunk is that because it is uh, the whole concept of steampunk is just pure imagination becomes real real life it, it you can do whatever you want with it yeah that's why i love steampunk it's so over the top the adventures are pulpy and also firearms at that time are very interesting and you of- do love your guns <laughs> uh for me um until Tefra, steampunk didn't really necessarily equate for fantasy for me. Um, I grew up reading like H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, which are much more like noir fantasy at best. Um, uh, and so Tefra was sort of like this refreshing, almost like uh, cartoonish in the best way, like animated mm-hmm. um, setting, steampunk setting that I really enjoyed. And, and having been the crafter, um, being able to be like, yeah, you know, I make a skiff from Gerald uh, <laughs> and things like that was really great. Um, and it was it, it's definitely I really enjoy steampunk. It's it's very interesting. I like the alternate timeline that it has in just like traditional steampunk. Um, but in fantasy, when you're adding all the sort of like different races and in a different world, um, I really like we've said before, like it's uh the Tefra universe, uh, Relusia, uh, is just like so great and robust. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, the leeway that steampunk, uh, gives you. Yeah. Um, so our next question is from Joseph. Uh, if you are able to do Tefra again, do you plan on including any of the additional books? Um, Hands down, if I was going to do Tefra again, I would bring in the, you know, the additional, uh, like, firearms and the g- gadgetry and the explosions. There's, like, there's one or two books that, like, kind of, like, add even more uh, uh, things you can do with, like, the mechanical crafting, like, as far as, like, items you can make, um, which is uh, uh, something that, you know... I love about Tefra is the crafting. So, uh, I would love to expand to those. The only reason I didn't was because, uh, I, I mean, you've already said it was pretty overwhelming for you to decide what you want. Don't to add do. any more specialties. Yeah. Don't so, do it. <laughs> so like, I didn't want to be like, so that's crafting in the core book. Here's crafting in these other books. And you just be like, I'm out. 
<laughs> I would have just laid down and cried. <laughs> so I, I wanted to like ease you into uh, into like you know base base level uh, Tefra. So uh, the next question is from Max. Uh, Tommy, when did you need to come up with Duncan Furter's backstory? Did you always know it? Um, or did you start coming up with it when the PCs first started asking questions? Or did you need to improvise it when Zeke finally had him at his mercy in Hall of the Mountain King? Ah, Duncan Furter's backstory. Um, yeah, I wanted to go into this uh, before when, uh, when like, in the words of the GM right after that episode. But, you know, we knew we had this question and we have more time now for me to go into it. I'm going to try to keep it pretty quick. But um, like we've said, uh, I ran a little bit of this campaign before. Um, and Duncan Furter was in those first few sessions. Uh, and the... The thing about Duncan Furter is that he was as much the player's creation as he was mine um, in that uh, I was like, oh, it's the representative of the court elite. I didn't even give him a name. And then I just made him this pompous, like, weirdo who's just like, hello. And, like, and uh, one of the players thought that was really, really funny and started mocking him. And uh, and then like someone asked what his name was and I and like I was like, shit, I didn't give him a name. And then I was like, well, OK, he should. And I said to them, like, he should have like a really like upsetting name. <laughs> <laughs> and we like spent like an hour talking about this character, not like not anything substantial. We mostly just talked as the character being like, yes, of course. And, uh, and, uh, kept on trying to think of what his name was going to be. And, uh, eventually like through the things that people were saying, like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this. Like I suddenly like mashed them all together into like, my name's Duncan Furder. And they're like, Oh, that's awful. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then and then they checked in and they left and then immediately I was like, wait, we just spent all this time making this larger than life hilarious uh, like representative of the court elite, but he can't be at the next checkpoint. He has to he has to be here to check in the other teams who haven't shown up yet. It doesn't make any sense for him to be able to like be there next time they show up. I'm going to put him there anyways. <laughs> I was basically just playing off of the, the Pokemon thing with like uh, Nurse Joy and uh, Officer Jenny, where it's like there's just one in every town. And I was like, no, that's the Dayan Duncan Furder. I'm the Thalian Duncan Furder. And um, that's as far as we got. <laughs> and, and I never really had to like explain that. I just kind of let it be like part of like silliness and Tefra. Um, but you know, when you play through a campaign, eventually like that mystery does need to be like at least hinted at, if not completely answered, someone's going to pull that thread. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, like Zeke didn't just pull on it. He fucking tugged on it and hung himself with it. <laughs> it was like his core driving. Like I have to finish this race. Cause I need to find out what Duncan partner is. Um, and, uh, and so I kind of like, like thought off the top. I was like, it's probably like this, you know, I, I know he's not an automaton. Maybe he's a clone. I don't know. And like, I just kind of, I kind of like gave myself like a ballpark area to work with. So when you asked questions, I, I could like kind of know what I wanted the answers to be. Um, and it wasn't fully until like, uh, like actually like the night before we recorded that episode that I like sat down and went, all right, 
what is Duncan Furter? <laughs> and like most of my prep for that session was like deciding definitively. I'm like, here it's it's no longer like amorphous and like uh like a concept in the back of my head. I need to figure out what he is. And I didn't just want to be clones. That was too easy. <laughs> so uh uh luckily Tefra has uh, essence manipulation as a thing, and I was like, he's a Farishta, but not a Farishta. He's like a for Duncan Fur for he's a Duncan Furter. His name was Duncan. <laughs> and uh, and it's kind of like I got that inspiration and just like sat there like giggling to myself as I wrote this out and Zeke's reaction to it was everything I wanted <laughs> so uh, yeah uh, you know it was it was uh, years in the making uh, uh, and finally you know nothing was fully set in stone until uh, right before we recorded uh, all right all right next question is uh, from Lloyd um, uh, he sent us a few questions. Uh, first question is, what do you like slash not like about this game system? Well, we already know Addy's answer. <laughs> um, uh, I think we kind of covered that a little bit. It's, you know, we when we were talking about the system, like there's like the kind of dichotomy and all that. So uh, I feel like we, we've answered that question pretty thoroughly. Um, uh, next question from Lloyd is, did you like your own character or did you like someone else's more? I love <laughs> Artifice. <laughs> I like the other two characters. Don't get me wrong. I had a lot of fun playing with them. But I love Barnabas. Just over the top, larger than life, you know, had a story for everything. And it was like the steampunk character I wanted to play most of all. And I was so happy to finally get to play him. Um, I enjoyed Zeke a lot. I, um a little, I guess, like, my one frustration was, and we talked about this earlier, is, like, the lack of foresight of what Zeke was going to become until relatively late in the campaign. I probably would have built him a lot differently. But he was a lot of fun. Tommy Natty can attest to this. I sort of just... If I'm not trying to make a specific character, I make bumbles in every system. <laughs> I make, like, a really polite person who blows everything up. <laughs> And I kind of regret not doing that in Tefra because it would be so cool in Tefra. <laughs> the gentleman. <laughs> yeah, the gentleman is Bumbles. 100%. I was really disappointed we never got to meet him. <laughs> what about you, Addie? <laughs> I am actually very surprised by my answer to this question, which is I love Talia. Uh, I loved playing her, uh, which is really weird to me because she was my third character. Um, so basically we always knew that, uh, Covert was going to play Barnabas. That mm -hmm. was a given. Um, and then we weren't sure what Dan was going to play. And so, uh, when it came down to making a crafter, Talia was born. And as I kind of like got to know her and play her and like, um, she ended up being one of my favorite characters, even though sometimes she's annoying. Uh, <laughs> I still, I wouldn't trade playing her for anybody else. Uh, and final question from Lloyd is, when will the Adventures of Barnabas Guns be, re be released? <laughs> they will be in store soon. <laughs> <laughs> After the conclusion of the closing ceremonies of the great Atroposian circuit. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go your to local bookstores. <laughs> I should be at a signing nearby soon. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of answers it, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, next question. From Gordon. Uh, so Gordon asks, uh, 
Er, so Gordon says, thanks as always to uh, all for a great season full of adventure and laughs. Um, so question one, uh, what were each of the players' favorite moments of the season? Ooh. Well, it's directed to you guys. What was your favorite moment of the whole season, Covert? Talia fighting that guy. <laughs> Which guy? That was so. I forget his name. I'm uh, really Gurren bad with Belt? names. I don't even name oh, my Gurren own. Oh, Gurrenbelt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in Arachrith, the satyr. Yeah. Yeah, when he's fighting Grandma. Whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I, I had so much fun picturing Talia, you know, graceful Talia fighting this giant satyr. I'm going to be completely honest. I wasn't sure she was going to win, but God damn, if I didn't try to help her win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your encouragement was much needed. Yeah. That was a really, really fun scene. Uh, what about yeah. you, Dan? I think my favorite was, uh, was, uh, sort of the mad dash to the end on the airship against team Cornfoot. Um, cause Zeke's original idea, I've talked about this is like, he's supposed to be a really good pilot in his backstory. And then it never comes up in this game, um, <laughs> but then it gets a chance to come up. And like most of the time when Zeke gets to fly something, it's like, I can fly it faster because of a specialty I picked at character creation. And then because of the sort of freeform rules of Tefra, like Zeke's a good pilot because I could think of cool shit you could do with yeah. a sweet airship. <laughs> and what about you, Adam? We've heard a lot of your favorite moments, but can you pick one out of the whole season? Oh man. Um, my favorite moment in the last episode, uh, because we don't get to cover those, oh. um, was the fact that Duncan Furter can't die until he gives his report. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a homebrewed specialty. Duncan Furter is in, invincible and immortal until he finishes his reports. Yes. <laughs> you kind of start to feel for him because, like, who is this guy and why did he agree to be what he is now? And then, you know, he, like, the fact that he, like, just loves his job. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, and so for me, the the swing, the the like capstone uh, of of Duncan Furter, um, uh, you know, being a real person was was uh, kind of magnificent. Um, that and then strapping Duncan Furter to to uh, Gerald Gerald <laughs> <laughs> and, and having them jump off the ship was pretty hilarious too. We had great plans in that episode, just all around. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, the next question from Gordon is, which character, um, NPC or PC, uh, other than your own, would you like to play? Uh, so for me, um, it's not really one character, but two. I would love to play Bartholo and Grendel, <laughs> um, but only as a duo. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a single entity. Yeah. They're that, that uh, character in a fighting game that when you pick it, it's actually two people. They're Master Blaster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what about you, Dan? Um, I actually don't know the name of the character I would like to play. <laughs> All I know is... <laughs> <laughs> Because we never actually confirmed what any of their names were. We had our guesses at the table. Um, it's either Enoch, Solomon, or the third one. Uh, Jasper was the third Jasper. name. Which, which one was he? It, which was, one was, it, was, it was Enoch. Sweet. Enoch, Enoch, Enoch was the one who was encased in a giant metal like tank <laughs> suit. We had so many great jokes about him at the table. Yeah. Yeah. Just like anytime anything unexpected was happening, we would just always be like... <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Covert? 
probably Hand of Souls. And nice, nice. Uh, my... uh, that are the hand monsters. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! What's um... your character? A swarm of hand monsters. <laughs> Fuck those fucking hand monsters. So many great things on this campaign. Uh, so, uh, out of character, which team, uh, which team would you have put money on winning the Atroposian circuit at the beginning of the race? Ooh. So you guys as yourselves. You too. Well, I, it's hard cause I, I. Out of character. Uh, You're not the GM now, Tommy. <laughs> but I already know everything. Uh, brain melting. Someone else go first. Okay. Well here, how about this then? Who wins if Jolly Pot doesn't interfere? Adams. Yeah. Adams was going to win. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't going to be, it was going to be like an illegitimate win basically. Cause they had their airship the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you can't prove they had it the whole time. Exactly. But it was going to be like, uh, everyone was going to be like looking at Adams and he was going to be like, what? <laughs> um, I am not much of a gambler. Uh, I probably would have picked, uh, Cornfoot, because their odds would have been good enough, but not like. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it would have been Cornfoot. I don't know. I hate them, I'm, but it's like the Olympic team that you know is going to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with Addy on that. Uh, I'm much of a gambler myself. So Cornfoot for cover and uh, Dan. There were times where I thought Basington was going to win in the campaign. <laughs> That's like, true. I will say, <laughs> um, I never would have bet on them. But if I had seen them in re- like as a as a if we had seen them at like the first checkpoint, like just them overcome anything at the first checkpoint, <laughs> I would have known immediately. Oh, they're the team to beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Same question, but in character, if your character wasn't competing, ah, uh, who would Talia vote for? Talia would probably have bet on um, on Jollypot's team. Not if she wasn't on it, because he's the inventor. She's a fan. That's fair. (laughs) She is a fan of Jollypot. What about Zeke? Who would he bet on? That's tough, because I think think he puts his money on Adams, um, given their... I mean, they have a reputation as... Like, part of our dossier that was well-known was, like, they were smugglers with Mm. a fast ship, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think Zeke puts his money on them. Like, who has the best pilot? Oh, okay, they're going to (laughs) win. Yeah. Uh, What about you, Barnabas? I would have placed my money on Team (laughs) Towley. Never doubt fellow adventurers and explorers. That's fair. I mean, uh, you know, Cornfoot was a, a bunch of adventurers and explorers, too. They were Tomb Raiders. I don't like them. Yeah, because yeah, Barnabas Hugo was, knows the guy. He yeah. knows he's a dick. Hugo was a dick to him. <laughs> uh, all right. And the last question is from Gordon. Oh, second to last question from Gordon uh, is, Tommy, If there were, were there any particular challenges this system and campaign presented compared to others? Uh, well, I've talked a bit about the, the challenges of the system, the fact that like there's a lot of holes in the rules that as a GM, you just kind of got to like decide how you want to run it. Um, as far as campaign, um, it was finding a way to make you guys as the players aware of what was going on during the rest of the campaign and have a general idea of the overarching story. Cause like, 
I wanted you to feel like you were competing against these other people, but you weren't going to see most of what was going on with them. And I had to find a way to like build a narrative. So like you would just see glimpses of these other teams and understand what their journey was. Uh, And like, and that was super, super fun at the same time. Um, Additionally, in the same vein, uh, the other super challenging thing was making the characters of the other teams memorable enough that when you met them in episode one and then met them again in episode like 14, you weren't like, who? (laughs) (laughs) Like I could like do a little bit of a thing and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's Augustus Lodge. And, uh, and a lot of it, um, a lot of it had to do with like tipping my hat at already pre-existing characters like some of you may have noticed that team adams was basically the crew of the millennium falcon uh hannah solzin is kind of han solo and shorkata is kind of chewbacca and uh lucius stratford might be luke skywalker (laughs) um making those kind of mirrors made it so it was easy for you to make assumptions about uh these characters that were true i had to execute it right in episode one or the whole thing goes to shit (laughs) Uh, and bonus question, how do you spell Dunkinferter? <laughs> uh, so the thing about Dunkinferter is uh, his name is spelled differently depending on which Core Delete member is, uh, is, he belongs to. Um, mo- not because of anything specific, mostly because the name Dunkinferter was just like what they just kind of like colloquially called him they just kind of like were like well we can't call him duncan f tar that's a little bit you know that's a little bit morbid nothing else is too morbid (laughs) but (laughs) but we can't just call him duncan uh and like so they like eventually like someone was like uh the duncan furter project what's how's that going you know and and it just like became a thing that they just were like yeah we'll call them duncan furter and no, it was never like, no, never like Odlin wrote it down one way. Cornfoot wrote it down a different way. And there's no actual consensus on how Duncan Furter is spelled. Um, and, uh, uh, Duncan Furter's sign with just a D that's their signature. <laughs> so the answer is you can't, uh, in my head, it's spelled as upsetting as possible. So <laughs> it's D U N K I N F U R T U R. Oh, there's a silent P in there. <laughs> um, so uh, this question uh, is from Sean, uh, not Sean Four uh, from previous series. Um, Sean asks, um, why didn't you give bonuses to Barnabas on cultural knowledge? He was supposed to be a well-traveled adventurer, but you didn't seem to give him any advantage for that. So one of the things we've, we've touched on is the fact that most of the specialties in Tefra uh, just have to do with combat. There's not really that many specialties that like, you know, make you like a robust, uh, you know, a robustly knowledgeable person. Uh, the best way to do that is to just like pump into cunning. Um, and uh, Barnabas had some pretty decent cunning, I believe. Uh, it was like cunning and dexterity were his two like main stats. Um, but uh, we've mentioned before in words with the GM, uh, uh, the way I tried to at least uh, allow Barnabas to seem worldly uh, was that I kind of, without really telling him outright, I kind of gave Covert the power to just make up cultural aspects and I would just go with them. <laughs> um, like... 
one of the examples that comes to mind is the fact that no one in uh, uh, no one in uh, Zeta uh, exits out the back of a tent. That's bad luck. <laughs> that Covert just said that, and I was like, I fucking love it. That's true now. <laughs> um, so uh, while there's not really like a way in the system for me to give him a true mechanical uh, representation for his knowledge, I. F- tried at least to frequently allow covert to make shit up and um also um whenever they got to a new place i i did always try to be like and barnabas you know because you've been here before um and i kind of actually used that as a gm tool because i wanted to tell you about the worlds you were going to and i was like barnabas knows this stuff so you guys can know it too uh, i don't know covert if, if you have anything to add there it is your character no i i basically got free reign to make shit up and that's what i like doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh it was it was really great uh the gauntlet in iraq with i love it Uh, (laughs) um another question from sean is uh talia's powers seem to be a bit overpowered uh was that a system thing or a decision that you made to let her be more unique this this question confuses me just slightly i'm not actually sure which powers you're referring to uh, whether it be the crafting or the sword fighting or the dodging. And I think therein lies the answer. Uh, it's like we've said, uh, Talia didn't focus into just one thing. She kind of focused into a bunch of different things. You picked very – first off, because picking specialties was so annoying for you, you poured over that book more than anyone else. So you were able to pick very specifically like appropriate uh, specialties so that you could achieve what you wanted to do with this character while still spreading her around to a bunch of different strengths. Whereas Zeke basically was just like super spirit and um, uh, Barnabas was basically like super shooting like with like, you know, and then they like spread a little bit into other things. Um, uh, Talia like really ran the gamut of a bunch of different things. So it may be that Talia did actually seem like a bit of a Swiss army knife. Like she could always do the thing that needed to be done. Um, but I think it was just, it was all, uh, Addie just picking her specialties very carefully. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about that was, is that she had no strike. Yeah. The Um, only time she could hit something hard was if she did the charging ram ability. Yeah. Um, so she did, she definitely had her weaknesses. Um, but, uh, my stat sheet, was um, I had zero brute, and then I had uh, like eleven in cunning and thirteen with people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I had nine in science and nine in dexterity and nine in spirit. Um, whereas like uh, Zeke, I think had like a twenty-seven in spirit or something ridiculous. It was only twenty-three. Like okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so she she was uh, balanced. Which in this system is weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I hope that answers your question, Sean. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, the last two questions we've got are from Seth Lilly. Seth Lilly? You mean Kreflin? <laughs> and Nashikali Hasha. Yeah, uh, uh, Seth Lilly from previous series. If you don't know who he is, you should go listen to him. He's a very talented man. Um, so the first question is for the whole cast. Um, what moment from this series would you most want to watch on the big screen? Oh, that's such a good question. Definitely the fight with Gurren Bell. <laughs> <laughs> also the end scene when we were racing to the finish line, uh, all that crazy shit going on. Uh, had it, it, it was awesome in my head, so I can only imagine how awesome it would be 
on the on the big screen. Um, both of those moments. Okay. I can think of one. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, old Paldoris, 100%. <laughs> because it has tons of great, just terrible, awful things from Tommy's mind. And also my favorite NPC. <laughs> it's the only time we got to see them in action, and it was so cool. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, and it's really hard uh, to choose between them, is um, The Haunted House. Oh, nice. oh, man, that was so good. That was really good. Um, and then also uh, the the um, scene running through the roost after the guy with the phoenix. Yeah. I feel like that would be so, like, visually stimulating that I just love that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I, this makes me so happy hearing all these things. Um, uh, if I had to pick one moment, it's that's really hard for me to do. I, I think uh, if I'm just saying one moment, I think it would be... Um, the fight with Tank and the subsequent boarding of the Contessa. Uh, I think uh, all of that, um, I, either that or if you've got a really, 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 really fucking good actor for Duncan Furter, I'd want to see the Duncan Furter reveal story <laughs> <laughs> on the big screen, especially because it would like have flashback images of like Duncan F. Tar and like Odlin working on him. That would be really fun too. Daniel Day Lewis as Duncan Furter. <laughs> 100%. Um, okay, I have one other. I know I said this too already, but um, for those of you who listen to the bonus episodes, Oh, um, that fight in the third bonus episode with the circus. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about like Barnab- Barnabas versus that elf? Oh my God. That would be so good. Just intercut. Like Tali is running away. Zeke punts a guy off the ship, both like weirdly, very lighthearted. And then like opening scene of Casino Royale, Barnabas murders a guy with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a really fun, like, <laughs> like toss, uh, tossing uh, Barnabas around when the ship moved. Like every, every yeah, Barnabas's fight with that elf, super cinematic. Uh, definitely listen to the bonus episodes if you haven't. It's great. Um, and you said there was another question from Seth to yes. to finish it up. Uh, question for Tommy and everyone, I guess. Okay, cool. Um, who <laughs> uh, who's your favorite essential NPC for this series, old or new? I will say Duncan Furter doesn't count. Duncan Furter doesn't count. He, I, I don't he think he can. Tephra. Yeah, I don't think Duncan Furter can exist outside of Tefra. I think he has to stay preserved in amber in Tefra. <laughs> well, what the fuck, Tommy? <laughs> 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 well, so this is we could. We, I believe Seth is saying like, you know, who do you think might be an essential NPC moving forward? Also, if you're, uh, that's what the new part is. Okay, this is really more of a pitch and a plea than anything. (laughs) 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 Enoch, new essential NPC 2017. (laughs) Oh, man, I don't want to fight him in Shadowrun. You be quiet. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, Bumbles totally builds him. (laughs) Bartholo and Grindelfug were both featured in the old campaign. And I was, I was so happy to see them again because I actually really enjoyed them uh, first time around. And second time around, getting to see them multiple times, uh, I, it was wonderful for me. I, it, was, it was great. And especially Talia fixing his music box. It, yeah. 
it made me feel a feel. <laughs> yeah, this this version of uh, Bartholo and Grendelfog, uh, uh, I was really really proud of it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So my my favorite um, NPC of the series is uh, Jebediah Longsworth. Longs. Yeah, Longsworth. Longsworth, um, who I secretly ship for Talia, <laughs> um, rather than. Uh, the satyr dude, whatever. <laughs> uh, hey, I mean, he just kissed you and liked you, but like, Jebediah was on the train ride back, you know? Oh man! And uh, yeah, they uh, they're they're like engineering soulmates. I don't know. Anyway, I you know really, Jebediah comes with Percival, right? He's like I'm, as an essential. If Jebediah is an essential NPC, Percival is also an essential. Yeah, NPC. because otherwise Percival will die. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, surprisingly, uh, to me at least, I mean, I made a shitload of characters for this <laughs> for this uh, series, and the one that I I think I like the most, and I would probably be most interested in, like turning into an essential NPC and bringing into another world is Augustus Lodge. He's, he's like one of my favorites. I, I like, he, he became really, really real in my head in a way that I didn't actually expect. I, you know, I was just kind of going to like throw him in there, but then like, I started thinking about his thought processes and everything, like, especially in that scene where he's talking to Talia on the bridge and like, she would say something. And I was like, you know what? He's pretty reasonable. And then I was like, he's like a reasonable murderer. He's like, he's a gun for hire that has no qualms about killing, but like, doesn't necessarily enjoy it. It's just his job. And like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I would like, I would like to see more of Augustus Lodge. I think I, I like, I like the way he reacted to everything that you guys did to him. And, uh, yeah, I think he's the most intriguing of all the NPCs I, I built for this campaign. Also do not want to fight him in <laughs> Shadowrun either. Hey, I mean, if you, but if you <laughs> find a reasonable reason for him not to fight you, he might just be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, so that is it for all of our questions for post game chatter. Thank you guys so much for uh, sending them in. We love hearing from you guys and uh, we can't wait for you to hear the bloops next week. And then the week following that, we kick off Shadowrun Series 5. Woo! Thank you so much for the questions, guys. Uh, it means a lot to us to be able to have this back and forth with you. Also, I think this is the most questions we've gotten for post-game chatter. So go you guys. So for uh, the last time, we'll be signing off a Tefra. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by Cracked Monocle Gaming. Tefra, the steampunk RPG, is a trademark of Cracked Monocle Gaming. All rights reserved. Go to www.crackedmonocle.com for more information.